And now, weighing in out of the blue corner, Josh the Pong Thompson. 100%. And on the other mic, he weighs in from the red corner, Big John McCarthy. I am the punk yes. because I've learned from the best, yes. my man Josh Thompson. And he's chose, he was tell you how to be the supreme yeah. punk. And. I keep showering me with praise. Keep, I, I keep, it keep it coming. Keep it coming. Keep it coming. No cameras. No, no, no cameras. Give me a fair no pictures. Go ahead and paint, paint that red stripe in your hair again. My man, what's I'm up? Afraid How not, doing? my man. Oh, it it was fun while it lasted. It was fun while it, it was lasted, fun while it lasted. How many different colors? I remember the red. I remember a blue and orange. No, you know what it was. The well, the, it was it was a blue. It was blue with orange hair. No, the blue, <laughs> the blue was never blue. It was actually purple that faded to blue. Well, then it was blue. Yeah, but it was. I don't, it give, was, I don't give a shit what it, what, it, what it was intended to be. It's what it was. It was supposed to be blue. Yeah, so it was. It was. Uh, I'm sorry. It was supposed to be purple. That was like a burgundy okay. color I tried for one fight. That was my first title defense. And then that one was purple, orange, and blonde with the black all around. What, what was it that made you say, That hey, was the first one right I'm there. Go I'm going to put a stripe. On my head of a different color. Punk, Why? Punk the skunk, skunk the punk. Punk the skunk. It was skunk, whatever. Skunk, that okay. was my first right, one. The first right. one over here on the far right. That was the first one. And that was the first. Yeah, one? that was the one. I was all. I dyed it all black, and uh, then I put the blonde piece in the front because I had just left my bangs a little bit longer, and then I put a blonde strip in the back a little bit, just a small little blonde strip in the back. I don't know. I just for some reason I just wanted to change it up. I always had kind of. Okay. I was always the kid on the 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 way the way I am now. I was always pretty clean cut. You know, I, I had the long hair for a while that was all shaved underneath, and I pulled it up into a big ponytail to play soccer and wrestle for about a year and a half, two years, and then finally I just snipped it and was. I couldn't handle long hair, man. It just drove me fucking yeah. crazy. I tried though. Couldn't I tried. Do it. Couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. It's good to know you were focused oh. on your career. No, no, that was when I was wrestling in high school. Fucking sissy. Shut up. <laughs> Shut up, fucking well, fake-ass Eminem. I've seen those old pictures. Wait, Don't make me fucking you sell you out. Woman. <laughs> Don't make me sell you out. I'll go through your fucking Instagram and pull up those old-ass Eminem photos. <laughs> fucking dumbass. This guy. Uh, you can believe this guy. Did you, hold it. Dave, did you bleach your hair blonde? Oh, yeah. God, yeah. Oh, oh man. Dude. He's got He's got photos of him with like a hoodie on trying to act all tough and hard. And in the background, he's got fucking Hulk Hogan and Macho Man Randy Savage on his fucking wall. These little like, those little like uh, stretchy, what are what? those <laughs> little stretchy WWE guys? What was that? No, remember, that remember, remember the, the remember the the little WWE the little pillow pillows, guys? the pillows. Yeah, that was pillow that guys. was yeah, Dave. He had guys. all those guys. All right, Dave, yeah. you had those, didn't you? You had what? <laughs> You did. I know you fucking did. Did you used to buy <laughs> no. those little the fucking ice creams with like the shitty ass uh oh. like um what was it, the cookie on the outside? Oh my god. I don't know I don't know what that is. The oh, WWE, WWE cookies ice cream bars. The WWE no, ice cream before bars. My time. That was before, before your time. Yeah, time. yeah. That's true. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um there's a lot of a lot of things before Dave's time. John, we've got a we've yeah. got a fucking oh fantastic God. show today, man. We also got a special guest, man. We're gonna be light. There it is. Ah, <laughs> there it is. Look at that bad boy. Gosh. Holy shit. Jeez. Man, what happened to your arms? Did you have some kind of disease? Yeah, where like no yeah. muscle was able to grow. 
<laughs> it uh, looked like you had gym. a neck injury and your arms atrophied. <laughs> exactly. You know how they used to say Hell, at least I broke my neck oh, to get arms. Geez. My arms were twice that size and I had that neck injury. In Scotland, instead of saying snap into a Slim Jim, they'd say slap into a podcast, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Man, yeah, those I was things. talking about, but I want, first off, I want to apologize, Josh. I called you buggy whip arms. Yeah. Oh, no. It's dang. It is. This guy. <laughs> it's like a fucking uh, little noodles. What are you going to do with those little, little buggy whip, man? Jeez, little twiggies. Oh, right. my God. I've already locked my wife down. I don't need to worry about these stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. It's all good now. Uh, locked in. Well, I mean. All right. Well, we got we have some fights to talk about. You know what? I'll just get to the fights here. But we, we do have a great show for people. Yeah. We have a special guest, and we'll talk about him in just a little bit. But we do have Tyson Fury taking on Francis Ngannou in Saudi Arabia. November 28th, 2023. Josh, could it happen? Could it be that the heavyweight champion of the world in boxing, the linear heavyweight champion, gets upset, knocked out by an MMA fighter in Francis Ngannou? I'm not going to go that far. I'm not going to go that far. But I I am going to give Francis Ngannou the love that he deserves. I am. And I'm going to be honest. The fact that Tyson Fury has already booked another fight gives me a little bit of a weird feeling. And it gives me like little that those little tingles on the bottom of my nutsack. It kind of gives me yeah, those yeah. little tingles. Yeah, yeah. Like in the tank kind of area. Like, it makes like, me oh, feel not, like, you, like, like I know you're, you're, over, I know you're overlooking them. I knew that. But okay. you already went and booked another fight. Like, are you just are you kind of just easing into your training camp for that next fight? And you're, maybe he's looking at it. Maybe he's looking at it like it's just part of his training camp. And that's my that's my problem. My problem is like you're not peaking then at the right time. You're not actually getting ready for what this guy does specifically versus the next guy who doesn't do anything like this guy that you're scheduled to fight. Yep. They're different fighters, and so are you. What are you doing for this fight? That's getting you mentally prepared and physically prepared for this guy, and then knowing that what you're preparing for next fight. It's not even the same type of fight. Completely different fight. Okay. Now, Tyson Fury fights, it seems like he fights very similar uh, every single fight. He sticks and moves, utilizes jabs, plays a little bit of rope-a-dope. You know, he can move. He's got great head movement, got yeah. great footwork. He can box. He can really box. But he within box. that three-round period, I mean, I'm going to say that Francis Ngannou's got a shot. Look, none of us have seen him box, like in an actual boxing ring. Now, look, if we're going to talk about practice, I'm sure you've seen him box in the you know, inside, um, inside, you know, in practice or whatever at the gym, at, at Randy okay. Tours gym and whatever gym, what other gyms you've been at that have seen him perform. It's not the same. It's not the same. And, um, we've seen him box and spar with 16 ounce gloves. It's not the same. You know, you're, you're wearing, you're wearing 10 ounce gloves. That's all six ounces a lot. I mean, the UFC gloves are four ounces. That's a whole nother glove. You know what I mean? Like we're, we're I don't want to, I don't want to count him out and i get i get okay. you and i are on the same page i think tyson fury is the best boxer in in boxing right now he's the definitely the must watch tv i love watching him but it scares me a little bit it doesn't scare me it makes me believe that he is com- completely just washed his hands of i'm moving on after this not a big deal whatever it takes you know like it, okay. i'm gonna be on to the next fight 
and that that scare that that scare doesn't scare me. I keep saying scare me, but it doesn't scare me. It just it puts it it puts my mind in a place where I think Francis got a shot. Francis is taking this serious. Francis understands like if I am able to even just drop him, this puts me in another conversation for another big money fight. Then maybe not against Tyson, but maybe against Anthony Joshua, maybe against you know, and that's millions, millions again on top of it. He knows what's at stake. Francis does. He does. Okay, I'm going to do the same thing as you. I'm going to say. First off, I love Francis Ngannou. I hear a he butt coming. As, he is as classy. He's as classy an individual as I've ever been around as far as the way he conducts himself. He is a champion in the sport of MMA. He is everything that you'd want because he's classy. He's kind to people. You can't say anything bad about the guy. I love him. He don't stand a chance in this fight. Doesn't stand a chance. And I, and I hate that part of it. I really do. I hate that part of it because I would love to see him do well. I just don't think he's going to even do well. He's going to have a hard time finding Tyson Fury. He's going to have a hard time landing anything of any substance against him because it's just, he's new at it. No matter, I don't care how many times he's fought in an MMA cage, he's new at boxing and Tyson's not. Now, if you took this and you switched it around, and I put Tyson in an MMA fight, at least the one thing with Tyson in an MMA fight is he's going to be uncomfortable. He's not sure. He's not confident. He's got all these unknowns in there with him. This is his world. You know, he, can, he can sign another fight because he's got nothing to truly worry about. He's looking at a guy who's coming into his world that's never really fought high-level boxing. Yeah. He's he's done it in MMA and he's got unbelievable power in MMA, but it's it's a different stance, it's a different style, everything. And unless you've done it, Josh, look at you've boxed, you've done MMA, okay? I they're different. Yeah. You know they're different. the The way I stand is different. Everything's different. And I mean, again, I love Francis, and I hate to think that he's going to have as hard a time as he's going to have in that ring mm -hmm. with Tyson Fury. It's a matter of how long Tyson wants the thing to go on. Now, Tyson doesn't have incredible power, but he puts a lot of volume on, mm -hmm. and that volume starts to, to wear you out. And as, as good a shape as Francis is in, he's going to be uncomfortable. And when you're uncomfortable, you're burning mm -hmm. energy. No. And it wears you out fast. I, I know I've told this story a thousand times, and I'm going to just say it again, because to back up what you're saying, I completely agree with you. I've sparred with Robert the Ghost Guerrero. I've sparred with guys like Ricardo Pinnell, who was he was a 9-0 when I first started sparring with, sparring with him. Now he's like 14-0 yeah. or something like that. Kid's a good boxer. Um, he was my main sparring partner for some of my, like towards my end of my uh, UFC career. And it just is, there's levels. But with Ricardo, I could get away with things. Robert the Ghost Guerrero was at a, just a different level. He could come in squeaky, you know, like, you know, had to oil the, the wheels on it a little bit and still fuck me up. And that's kind of where we're at right now where Tyson can do this shit in his sleep. So I agree with yep. you on that. Like I said, though, John, when you are <laughs> not that, mentally prepared. It's that hope because it's, of, it's I, the I hope, agree with it's you. It's the mentally prepared. We've seen fighters countless times. I don't care how fucking good they are. They just think, ah, I got this in the bag. And then they have yeah. a shitty ass fight. The fight ends up being, maybe it ends up being, and this, this goes back to, I can go back to saying, Hey, this is Rocky one. You no, know, it's very similar as far yeah. as if you're going to look at, you know, the scenario and what's there is 
Apollo Creed and Tyson Fury, they're the same. The guy's unbeaten and all this stuff. And you know what? He's this monster. And the one Rocky's got a puncher's chance. Well, Engano's got a puncher's chance. I just don't think he does. Yeah. And well, there's no way you you can sit there and say what you want. Fury has been in there against guys that they can punch. Look, I've been in, you know, I've been there ringside with Deontay Wilder, and I've watched him fight multiple times. We're talking his right hand is as strong as anybody's right hand that you could find. George Foreman was another one, but he's been in there with Deontay three times, and the first time he got put on his ass and he was hurt, especially in that twelfth round, but he got up. And so he's felt a guy that can can you know can hit, and I'm not saying that Francis can't, but landing that shot is not going to be easy for yeah. him. And, and I just he's gonna the, the the longer it goes, the more uncomfortable he's going to be in there, and it's just not going to go well. Yeah, I look at it like he's going to have to make this a like it's going to have to make it a dirty Grammy fight. I don't know if he's got the cardio to make it a dirty, grimy fight because he can't stand on the outside and try to box him. He's got to come in God, with no. one or two big shots, then maybe clinch. He's got to step inside and throw yeah. big power. And then if you recall, there was a guy that Fury fought. I can't remember his name. Um, gosh, was he, was he the guy from South Africa? He ended up getting cut real bad over the eye. Oh, yeah, that, that was in Vegas. Um, uh, I thought it started with an M. Uh, I can't. Who did he fight? Yeah, hold on, hold on. It's a, stop right there. Uh, Otto. Otto. Otto Whelan. Okay. Otto Whelan. So him, yeah. So Otto, he ended up getting Tyson Fury ended up getting really nasty cut, but that was all yeah, done was, in an exchange against the against the ropes. And I kind of feel yeah. like that's where uh, Ngannou's got to get him to go. Problem is with the footwork of Tyson Fury and the lack of footwork by Ngannou, it's going to make it harder for him to get there. Understanding how to cut, not just cut the the ring off. But keeping it, that pressure, the, the leg between the foot between the legs, the shoulder in the chest, you know, the uppercuts coming over the top with some flurry shots, keeping that pressure against him. It's not the same as MMA. And I just I look at that. I'm like, and the other thing, if you are going to fight that style of fight, it is you're going to be exhausted. You you are just I'm sorry, but a 10 week, uh, four week, a four month. It could be anything. Four month, five month, six month. You couldn't get in good enough shape it to do does, that. It doesn't matter what kind of shape you're in because you're in shape mm -hmm. but and it, the difference is everyone gets tired it's who recuperates yeah faster from being tired this is the person that's in better shape okay but you're gonna burn, be burning energy so quickly in this fight that you're gonna feel like you're starting to drown and once you've got that feeling that you're, you're drowning you are it takes it takes a big event for it to stop, and, and that I just don't see it. That happening. feeling comes from like you were saying, it's not relaxing. Tyson Fury yeah. can relax out there. He can relax out there for twelve rounds, the whole time. And so yeah. uh, his shape, his uh, footwork, his conditioning in terms of his mental his mental capability of relaxing, as well as just dictating the pace of the fight. When you're the one that's the hammer, you feel like everything's going your way. It's when you're the nail, you feel like, man, I'm just sinking here. Yep. Just just drowning in this misery right now. And so, like I said, I think Francis, I give him a little bit of a chance between rounds one and three. And what I mean by that is it, we'll find out in that first two, three rounds how much Tyson Fury has really just kind of overlooked him. 
He's like, yeah, whatever. I'm going to get you in, get you out. Is he going to carry him at all? I mean, because he does have a puncher's chance. I would think he would try to get him out there, out of there as fast as he could. You know what I mean? Like, those are the things that are on the line. I want people to count how many punches Francis throws that miss. Interesting. That's a good way to look at it. Because those, those, when you miss, it takes it takes it out oh, of you a little worse. bit more. Yep. Um, yep. Let me, let me, especially when you miss big. Let me go in another direction, though. What do you think the pay per view numbers do? <sighs> on this one, I'm not. I don't know more than what Dylan Dennis and Logan Paul did. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you they didn't do uh, 1.3 like they claimed. 1.3. Jeez. Um, I don't. I honestly, I would say somewhere around 500,000. I really Ooh, think that much. Gonna get it somewhere to that. Yeah. It's going to get somewhere around Ooh, there. 450 to lot. 5. There's boxing fans, yeah. especially ones that, you know what, want to see Tyson okay. Fury beat up on an MMA guy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I got to remember who Tyson is. Yeah. You're not talking about a guy that, you know, you're yeah. talking about the heavyweight yeah. champion. You can sit there, and, and, and I know Usyk's got his, his belt. Mm-hmm. This is the guy that's the, yeah. the guy if you're gonna look and say who's the heavyweight champion. Yeah. I love Alexander Usyk. This is the guy that's the champion. I agree with you. I agree. All right, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna Yeah. Yeah, I mean now that I just reevaluated, I'm gonna say around six, maybe even six and a half. Six fifty, yeah, I should say six fifty. Um okay. I guess where does where does Francis go from here if he loses? If he's smart? Yeah. Well, it's it's like you said, you know, how well does he do? I'm just, you know, if if this was him against an average boxer, I'd have a lot more, hey, he's got a mm-hmm. chance of this and that, and, you know, and still he's going to be the underdog against the guy that he's fighting because, you know, it, it, Tyson Fury is not just a big individual. Mm-hmm. Just like we said at the beginning, Josh, he can box. Yeah. And I mean, he can box. This is a guy that can put his hands down and lean back like Ali and move his head, and he's he's looking at you the whole time. And he is absolutely able to move his body, even though it's a big body. He moves it incredibly well, and he makes people miss all the time that are that are accustomed to landing their punches. Yeah. And so I, I just look at it, man, and it's like, uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I just feel bad about it. But I think I think that Francis, if he's smart, hey, you took your shot in boxing. You took on the very best. You know, what, what happens, happens. Go back to the PFL. Let's start your career with PFL MMA. You have a couple of things going there. You have some fantastic uh, talent that's in the heavyweight division there. Uh, we're going to see who is the champion uh, of the PFL coming up in November, November mm-hmm. 24th. You know, he's got uh, two good uh, heavyweights there, both big guys, both strong guys, both with good stand-up. It'd be a great fight mm-hmm. for either one against Ngannou. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I look at. I, I want to see where he. I want to see how he looks. I mean, look. The, I was one of those guys that really believed that if Mayweather wanted to get Connor out of there, he would have got him out of there in rounds two and three. We could say that all day long, but he didn't. So I can't we because like, you know why he didn't. I think I think Mayweather bet on himself <laughs> and carried him to so where too. he went. <laughs> yeah, he says I knowing that Mayweather exactly how he bets. I, want to go. Um, yeah. I think that. But that kind of put, I think, people's, uh, the, hey, MMA guys, they're not bad at boxing. They're not fantastic either. They're not great. No. But they're not to be overlooked. 
it's there's no way there's no way and this is what people don't seem to understand you go to a boxing gym if you work around boxers boxers are working on a specific skill set two tools mm -hmm. their hands they work on throwing those hands from different angles mm -hmm. and connecting at certain spacings and the thing that they dictate that off of is their footwork that's it that's what they do when you're talking about an mma fighter you're talking about he's working on his hands he's working on his kicks he's working on his elbows he's working on his knees he's working on his ground game he's working on the submissions he's working on the takedown there's no way for an mma fighter to have the same skill set with their hands as a boxer you one is working you know on that skill set 100% of the time while you're working on that skill set 20% of the yeah. time that's true it's no it's true and um i I've, I've recognized that after sparring with several top level boxers you realize it's the way they move the way they make you miss the way they make you pay the way they can just push your shoulder one direction and turn you around i mean they yep. like it is the Chris Tucker feel, which one of y'all motherfuckers hit me. Yeah. It yeah. has they that off feeling. angle you and yeah. fucking put you in a position where you can't hit them and they're fucking blasting yep. you. Yep. I get and it. And it's and it's the same for them if you put them oh. in an MMA match. It's the same thing. They're lost. Okay. Yeah. It wouldn't because you're fighting another man's game. Yeah. If you just put them into a kickboxing match, now you add MMA and you had wrestling them. Oh. Come on. You, they would get uh, well, yeah. I mean, just kickboxing, it changes the range. Mm -hmm completely and they're uncomfortable yeah. with that range all right well uh when is that fight it's this weekend coming up correct november 28th yeah, yeah this it's oh, i'm sorry october 20th what oh, october or november october yeah, 20th. it's coming up this, yeah, this saturday friday saturday 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 this yeah. saturday yeah. holy shit yeah. all right all right holy shit uh yeah all right all right all right all right okay Joseph Parker against Seaman Keen. Ten rounds in the heavyweights. Man, head, look at heavyweight, 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 heavyweight. All heavyweights. Well, I mean, uh, I wish him nothing. I wish Francis nothing but the best of luck. I mean, I'm a big Tyson Fury fan. Absolutely. Love watching him fight. Um, he's kind of re... He's kind of got me back into watching boxing. I enjoy, I enjoy watching yeah. him fight. He's fun. Because he's fun. Yeah, he's fun everything, so... All right. He's crazy. Well, that's going to wrap up our, uh, our boxing talk. But hey, go to OnlyFans.com slash weighing in. OnlyFans.com slash weighing in. Subscribe to us. So there it is free. John's going to be uh, posting pictures and videos of his uh, Josh the Pork Thompson. And yeah, uh, he's getting big, he's baby. Getting big. He's funny now, man. Uh, Look, I got the. I'm telling you, you don't know. I'm, I'm going to save pictures for you. But the pork, now he sits, mm -hmm. he lays down, and he rolls over. When you tell him yeah, on command, as long as you got a treat on command, as long as you got it, as long as you got a treat, oh yeah, a treat. on command, <laughs> as long as you got a treat. Oh. If you don't have a treat, he'll sit there and look at you. He'll sit and look at you like, hey, yeah, hey you, where's my treat? Yeah, <laughs> I can't wait to come visit, man. Can't wait. Um, Gotta see who my son is. <laughs> the pork, <laughs> the pork, the pork. Uh, but go to Wayne in. Uh, go to uh, OnlyFans.com slash Wayne in. OnlyFans.com slash Wayne in. Subscribe to us over there. It is free, guys. Extra content just for the fans. And uh, subscribe to us over there. Thank you, guys. But John, we've got there's there's no UFC this weekend, so we're gonna just basically yeah, we basically go right from Tyson Fury, and then we go right to this, which is bare knuckle fighting. And I think this this fight. I'm sorry, man, but you, you're not going to get me to take my eyes off this this fucking fight. This is this is a fight. This is a real fight. You got two guys that are fighters, real fighters. These are like throwback. 
fighters. These are the guys that they're not just doing it for the money. They do it for the love. I mean, obviously, and the money, but they love it. Yeah, they do it for the money. They too. love it, though. They love it. Yeah. You know, Eddie's, I'm a big fan of Eddie. Is, I'm a big fan of Mike Perry. So this is a big fight. My, first off, I'm a Mike Perry fan. I think he's been fantastic for Bare Knuckle Fighting Championship. He's done everything that you could ask of someone, and he puts it on the line. He'll take on anybody. Look at the people. Look at the people that he's fought there. Yeah. I mean, MVP. That's a pain in the ass to yeah. fight. Okay. Luke Rockhold, and no matter what, people are looking, saying, "Well, Mike Perry was a welterweight, and Luke Rockhold was a middleweight, and Luke Rockhold was the world champion." And look at what happened. Yep. That's what happens when you put a dog in the fight. And Eddie Alvarez has been there and done it with everyone. And his fight against Chad Mendez, that was that was a battle. That was a dog fight too. I can't believe that these guys are now facing off against each other. I'm really, I'm a little bit concerned with size a little bit now. Yeah. Mike Perry, I think he's going to be a little bit bigger, a little bit thicker than uh, Eddie. But you know, obviously they're going to weigh in at the same thing. The other question is altitude. This is in Salt Lake City. Mm. That is up there about five, you know, 4,500 feet. So the altitude can get to you. Where are you going to be training? Because it's only two-minute rounds, but it's five two-minute rounds because Perry is the champ. And those two-minute rounds are a sprint. It is not what people think. They think, oh, it's just a, uh, it's just a minute less. No, you no. are sprinting during those rounds. So this is a hell of a fight. BKFC has put together an awesome card for this Salt Lake City, BKFC 56 in Salt Lake City. You know, John, Dave, can you look this up? Talbot Cerrone and Eddie Alvarez, was that, that was Eddie's first fight in the UFC uh, when he first came yep. over, and he ended up losing that did fight. It. Where was that at? Salt Lake Kicks. Where was that Lake at? Kicks. Salt. Oh, no. It was, Not Salt Lake. Was, it was in Colorado, was in, right? No, I think that was in Vegas. I thought it was in Altitude. No, no, he they that was Melendez they fought in uh, Melendez and Alvarez in, uh, fought in Mexico City, Mexico City. That's right, MGM Grand, the MGM Las Grand. Vegas. Okay, okay, yep. yep. Interesting. All right, well, um, I just with with Eddie finding altitude, I've seen Eddie can he can bite down on the mouthpiece and get after it, but I've noticed that people oh. people that generally have a fast paced fight style, which Eddie does, they yep. tend to have problems at altitude because they don't know how to fight conservatively. The way no, he fights—that's who, who they are—and then, and they just push through. Well, you can't push through at altitude. There's nowhere to go. Your body just shuts down. Cain Velasquez—we just had him on. If you guys haven't seen his show, he talks about it. His body just shut yep. down when he fought Verdum. Had nothing to do with he didn't feel like he was in shape. He was in phenomenal shape. Your body just can't take that type. Can't, it's a lack of oxygen. You're just not getting enough. Yeah. You're not getting oxygen like you are accustomed yeah. to, and it feels like someone is squeezing your lungs. Not just your lungs. Everything about your body just goes down. Like It just starts depleting everything. And Eddie, I find, he is a little bit older now, um, but I also find that he fights at a pace that's just that's a dog in him. He, just has, he, he doesn't know how to turn it off. And Mike Perry's the same way. But Mike Perry's also not been known for his his fast pace, hard like conditioning for later in the fights, like Eddie has been known. Eddie will go five rounds hard the whole time and push through. Now, Mike Perry, I know he's a dog. I know he can push through. I know he's got he's got cardio, but you're not comparing the two things. The size also has me a little bit concerned. Eddie's never been a big guy. He's never been a big no. guy. And the fact is, 
He's also been known to deal with these guys. He fought at Bodog at 170. He was fighting there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Once, and most of his career was at, early in his career was at 170. Then he went to 55 and had a ton of success. That was, if you recall, that was his first loss, though, as a professional fighter against Nick Thompson yep. at 170 because yep. Nick Thompson was a big 170. And it was like, these guys look like they're in different weight classes. No. And they were. Yeah, they were. They were in different weight classes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but but Eddie, Eddie, when I look at his fight with Chad Mendez, he had some problems with Chad because of the speed. He doesn't have to have that. He's not going to have that same problem with Mike Perry. Mike Perry's fast, but he's not Chad Mendez fast. And that's <clears throat> that's where I think that Eddie's going to have a little bit more of an advantage. He'll be able to hit Mike and try to get in and out of the way. Eddie's got good footwork. He moves no, in. He Eddie jumps in. He, he can box. He can jump in, jump yeah. out. He can cut the corner. He can't afford to stand directly in front of Mike Perry. Because if he gets hit clean with one or Bingo. two shots, he's in a lot of trouble. <clears throat> but what happens with Eddie? He gets he gets he gets ringed every time. When he gets and what does he do? He bites he, down, yeah. sets his feet, and starts winging shots. John, that's man, why that's, we fucking love him, is. man. That's why we love. I watching know him it fight. is. I absolutely agree. I, I mean, the guy is he's one of my favorites, yeah. man. I, I have the guy every time he fights, it's something to watch. And and I think this fight against Mike Perry, I I see ways for Eddie to win, and I see ways for Mike to win. Yeah. So that's what makes it a great match. I just encourage you guys all to turn the volume off because Eddie's wife screams like crazy. Oh, she does. <laughs> you know what? God bless. You know what? It's it's so funny because you know I I refereed a lot of Eddie's fights and it was always you could oh, hear yeah. in oh, that in the quiet about crowd it. and you go and you 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 would like be moving around in the kitchen. You go, okay, I know Eddie's wife is yeah. right over there because I can hear her screaming right now. But you know, God bless her, man. She supports her man. They've yeah. been together for they've been together for freaking what twenty seven long years? time, man. Yeah, I think they got through good for three him. boys and one girl. I think is what they have. Yeah, I think so. so. Something like that. Uh, Eddie's a great yeah. guy, man. Absolutely fantastic guy. We've Absolutely. had him on the podcast also. <clears throat> and uh, if you guys go back and watch, we're that. gonna have to have him. We're gonna have to have both of these men on like before to. this fight I'd like happens. To have I, we're gonna do this. Yeah. I gotta get a hold of December second. All right, go ahead, Dave. Let's what else it. you got? All right, another fight announcement. We got Josh Emmett and Giga Chikadze for December. You 16th. know what, Josh? This is the problem. They're they're now they're listening to the podcast and they're taking yeah. our advice. Tell them. Because we already talked about yeah. what would be a good matchup in the featherweight division. I think Josh Emmett against Giga Chikaze. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> how great minds think alike. It just it, it just made sense. I just want to know, is Josh Emmett, at the age that he's at, is he going to utilize his wrestling? That's the question. I doubt it. <laughs> because if he doesn't, the man from Georgia is going to win that fight. Well, this is the way I look at it. When he fought uh, Yair, Yair was hitting the leg kicks, hitting the head kicks, body kicks, all of these things. Giga's going to take a, a page out of that book. Same thing. He's going to do a very yep. similar thing. So if Josh decides... So how, do you, how do you keep him from doing if it? If Josh decides not to wrestle, he's going to end up in the same exact position he was against uh, Yair Rodriguez. Yair. So it's going to be a problem. Yep. <clears throat> now, power-wise, though, Giga's got to be careful. Giga's very hittable. When he starts throwing, Serious. he be, he gets into yep. those exchanges. He leaves himself out of position quite a bit. The spinning kicks, the side kicks, whatever it is, he leaves himself out of position quite a bit to be countered, um, if, especially if he misses. Now, you mix that in with some wrestling. He's, Giga's got to be careful with some of these spinning kicks because you get into those spinning situations. It's easy to grab your back, lift and slam or lift and take down or just drag you to the ground. And that's not where he wants to be underneath Josh Emmett. We've seen nope. Giga has a hard time getting up off the bottom. That's just the bottom line. He can't, he's not, he's not a, you would think from Georgia, he'd have some threat. wrestling. 
He's not a submission threat. He's not a submission threat, so. but he doesn't. You would think being from Georgia, he'd have some wrestling. He's got maybe level one yeah. wrestling. He can stop the first he, takedown. He went, he went a he went a different route. Yeah, this is true. I mean, he's very talented, obviously, on the feet. Fucking next level on the yeah. feet. Jeez. Scary on, nasty. On the feet, he's good. If you had a pick, though, who are you going to go with? <sighs> Don't say, well, if he did this, I picked this guy. No, no. Just I'm say. Gonna, I, I'm, look, I'm going to be honest. I'm looking at age and everything. I'm going to go with Giga Chikazi in that fight. All right, John. I'm going to do what I told you not to do. I'm going to say if Josh Emmett wrestles, he wins. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you're right. Next fight. I think you know you're right. Yeah. That's his. That's his route to victory. Yeah. What else? So you we'll got? see if he does it. All right. We have another fight here. So Big John loves this rent. fight. He wants. He, I love he this. Loves fight. this fight. Tell me what you think. Look at Brian Kelleher is a tough dude. Cody Garbrandt is a guy I love watching fight. He's had some hard times in some of his fights, but he was he was the bantamweight champion. He can absolutely get himself back into contention and that's what he's fighting Kelleher for here he needs to put on a good performance and he's fighting a guy in Kelleher tough dude let's see let's see you put on a good performance uh Cody's proven that he can be not hittable when he chooses to use his speed to be defensive and use his footwork he's fast fast. we know that he possesses a lot of power he's just got to make sure that he's not biting down on the mouthpiece he just needs to touch and go, touch and go. And with his power for such a small guy, the knockout will come. It'll come. Yep. Now, Brian Kelleher is very hittable. He's someone that yeah. is there to be hit, but he's also tough. He will take one shot, maybe two. Um, not sure by Cody Garbrandt, but he might He might be able to take two from some people. But Co- it's not just the power in which Cody hits with. It's the fact that it gets there fast enough to where you don't see the first one land. And then the second one lands while you're rocked, and then that's what puts you to sleep. He's got the power. He's got all the ability Cody Garbrandt does. And Brian Kelleher's got to make this one of those grimy fights, try to get him into some exchanges, and, and just try to catch him in one of those exchanges. We've seen Cody get carried away in the exchanges. And what he does, he loads up on the right hand. He lands a big shot. Then he comes back. He loads up with the same big right hand. Misses it or barely gets it. Loads up again, same right hand. Then you become predictable, and that's how you get caught. And that's what happened in a couple of his fights. And I look at this fight. I don't know if Brian Kelleher has that level in him, but we're going to find out. We're yeah, going to find look, out. Look at If you're Kelleher, you're looking saying, hey, it's a big name. This is a, this is a great yeah. fight for me to, to get a victory in. If I can get it, absolutely, I'm going to take that yeah, fight. Absolutely. So I, don't, I don't blame Kelleher for taking the fight. May the best man win, but Cody Garbrandt absolutely is going to be the favorite in that fight. All right, well, hey, you know what? We've had a lot of drama going on on Twitter. And, uh, you know, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about this drama with the illegal blows. The illegal blows. Apparently, there was illegal blows people wanted us to talk about. uh, In the Islam Makachev fight, to the back of Alexander Volkanovsky's head. John, please educate these people that are out there. (laughs) The part that amazes me is, they, they take what they have they have read and they put it down to what they think is the back of the head okay what is illegal to the back of the head is not what a doctor is going to say is the back of the head that is not illegal in mma when you're talking about 
You know, I saw people saying, oh, that Makachev kneed him to the head while he was down. Jesus Christ, man. <laughs> you could take a still picture of anything yeah. and make it look like something. He did not knee him when he was down. You know, if you're a Volkanovski fan, which I am, you got to look and say, we either make excuses for the fight or we say, hey, man, my guy lost and, and we move on. Okay? When we talk about the back of the head, when guys are in motion and think, <laughs> Josh, let me ask you a question real mm -hmm. quick. How easy is it for you to just target the exact place for your hand to hit mm -hmm. while you're trying to finish somebody? Because I can go back and say that Josh Thompson hit Nate Diaz to the back of the head. You meant to, right? <laughs> no, no. Okay. No. It, John, when you're looking at this photo, it's a still photo, and now you have the hammer fist to the, it looks like more to the top into the cranium, like right there on the top of the. There was, I'll give it, there's that one. Okay. I think there is but that what one. What it is. But man. there's motion involved. Yeah. And so what the referee is saying is don't hit the back of the head or watch the back of the head because he sees movement. And that way, if Islam comes back with a second mm -hmm. shot in that exact place, then he'll do yeah. something about it. But the rule is no directed, understand the word, directed shots towards the back of the head. And when we talk about the back of the head, we're talking about a one-inch strip to either side of center line from the crown of the head straight down the spine, okay? That shot right there will make it look like, yes, that's the back of the head, and that's that one. But in a finishing sequence where there's motion, the referee's not going to stop it off of the one shot as a guy is moving and a guy is on top of them moving, trying to hit him to end the fight. You're going to get this. It is part of the sport, and this is not something... If we took, and you know, people are like... You know, we should have a double champ in Alexander Volkanovsky. God forbid we ever had someone stupid enough to do something like that. Well, okay? Dave was ready to put an interim title around his waist. Fucking <laughs> 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 guy. Um, John, we've seen this so many times. Like, look, I actually am kind of in the in, in the world of believing that he was kind of already out. Yeah, I mean, it, he was his head he, was he was his head was just bobbling around. I mean, I would like yeah. to have seen the ref jump in actually a tiny bit earlier, but then I understand it is Volkanovski. He is the exactly. champion. You've got to let him go yep. out on his shield. It's it's a shit situation, but I mean, you can't stop a fight like right there on that moment. Those type of things, you just can't do it. Just no way. No, and and, and that if you could recall from this mm -hmm. point here. All of a sudden, Islam switches it mm -hmm. because he starts to see and he starts to switch his hand to come up towards anything landing, anything, any part of my body touches that ear, it's legal, okay? I can take my hand and put it almost to the back of that center line of the head and have my hand touch that ear, it's still legal. Mm -hmm. If it touches the ear in any fashion, it's legal, Yeah. okay? I don't know what to tell people. You're, you're, you're trying to, to die on a uh, on an island that you don't want to be on because you're going to lose. This is not a foul situation. This was the end of a fight situation, and it was it was done correctly. Yeah. Um, John, there was another foul with the Johnny Walker fight in the knee. And then I saw, I yeah. believe there was, I saw something that was uh, Aljo came out and said, like, how come this guy, or some, somebody came out and said, hey, Aljo won a title off of this. How come I didn't get it? I think it was Johnny Walker.
Um, it's, it's like, if why are we not using using these rules? Well, I said like, Aljo was what three rounds in, four rounds. four rounds into the fight, in the right? Round. It was in the third or fourth yeah. round. Yeah, fourth round. Yeah. That's why, dumbass. <laughs> like whoever was like. It just it got to the point where people are now just they're finding any excuse and like we had we talked with Rich Franklin who's our guest uh, on this show but we talked with Rich and fighters will find any reason to cheat and it's not cheating it's trying to skew the rules trying to work around them and I got really mad on the last show talking about Mokayev and I think he's a fantastic fighter but this whole copper squat fingertips on the ground and i even called andy foster because it was fucking bothering me so much i was getting so mad about it. i'm like I, I was just thinking about it in my head i'm like you know andy this type of stuff we've we've got to we've got to stop it we've got to stop like oh we've got to stop like we didn't try to stop it and they just went uh, no right you guys just aren't doing a very good job of it let me speak up for you guys okay let me let me let me, go let me educate you, you. you hey you just keep going <laughs> no it's i'm it, a hundred percent for I, you i think speaking well up. then i think maybe you just need a little bit more backup maybe some muscle okay that's why you bring me in the, I, that's it right there you bro. know that's it just i've got to the point though john where you see jason herzog is refing that fight against mokayev and he sees that he's just dangling his hands around the mat, kind of playing the whole game. Never with weight bearing. Uh, his hands are not weight bearing. He's not carrying any of his weight on there. It's just his fingertips. If your fingertips are on there and you're not putting any pressure on it, I should be able to nail the shit out of your face. It doesn't matter if you got two of them on there or not. Which is where, and I believe, and I really do believe that there will be a change in some sort of policy or, or rule system in this thing here. I wouldn't say it's going to come soon. It's going to be a long it's going to take a long, long time, but it will, the fighters will evolve and change the way that they fight. You know what I mean? To make this because it's, it's, it's getting to the point where it's taken away now from the fight and it's favoring the top, top level wrestlers. You can see, you could, in that, that I'm not that I'm saying that they shouldn't be allowed to, it just, they have now learned to work around those rules so well that now it's giving them the, the the clear advantage. Yeah. Anytime someone and I always I, when I was refereeing, I would do the I would do the thing of when you are if you you were fighting someone, Josh, and you were attempting to use technique to offensively, effectively damage your opponent while your opponent was trying to use a rule. Not technique, not skills and ability, but a rule to protect themselves. I was going to always lean towards your side because you're playing the game. The, the, not, the other person is playing the game. They're trying to use not skill and technique. They're trying to use a, a specific rule set to keep themselves safe. That's not fighting. Yeah. That's not fighting. And so... I look at you know I, I actually saw and I was I was a little bit uh, discouraged. I saw Mukayev actually complaining, and I'm like, you had yeah. nothing to complain about in that yeah. fight, because in reality, he was complaining about the judges had given Tim Elliott was winning the yeah, fight. Yeah, he was. He had he had to get that finish, and I'm like, and what made you think that you you were winning this fight? What made you think that you know you were doing so many great things that that the judges were just crazy for going with Tim Elliott, who was doing a whole bunch of stuff to try to end the fight, to try to put you out? That's what they're looking for. It's not about who can play a game better. Yeah, you know, and it's I look at it and it's 
at one point we went and tried to say, hey, you got to put both hands down, palms down for you to be a down fighter. This is what happened with Gegard Mousasi and Chris Weidman. Weidman put his fingertips down. He didn't put his palms down. Gegard throws the knee. It was legal, you know, and the whole thing happened where Weidman kind of acted hurt. And then the doctor said, well, he's hurt. He can't go on. And it was a TKO victory for Gegard. But we heard nothing but bad things from the same as, you know, we're just talking about Rich Franklin. We were talking to Rich Franklin about trying to change rules. And these people get so stuck on, well, a fighter's, you're, you're telling a fighter not to protect themselves. You're telling them to put both hands on the ground. No, I'm not. I'm telling them don't do that. I'm telling them if you want to be a grounded fighter, put your knee to the ground and put both of your hands up to protect your face. Okay. I don't want the fighter to put their hand to the ground, but you're going to have to give them a rule that makes it to where they go, that's not going to work for me anymore. And it's going to take something like that or change the rule to where knees are allowed on the ground because at this point in the sport, 20, you know, 29, almost 30 years in, we did have knees allowed on the ground at one point. We haven't had them for a long time. And something that they need to look at because it's not something that, oh, you know what? You're going to allow knees to the head on the ground. Everyone's going to get hurt. No, they're not. No, they're not. Okay. They're not. They're not going to get hurt. But, but, but will somebody? Yes. Absolutely. Somebody will. Somebody gets knee to the head on, uh, <coughs> on the feet and they get fucking hurt there too. Oh, I know. Oh, but see, that's, that's the whole point. They, they look at that. That's okay. Yeah. Because now they're used yeah. to it. Yeah. When we started and I was going to court and all these things, you know, do you know how many times I heard about you're going to let someone get need to the face? Mm-hmm. Yes, we are. Yeah. You know, and it's like they're used to the, they're used to defending against this. It's not an easy thing to do. Yeah. It's not it's not this skill set that someone can just, you know, go and just, oh, I can just go burp, done. It doesn't happen that way. And it wouldn't happen that way with knees to the head on the ground, but it would definitely change the ability for people to try to use positions that have the rule set backing them that they would never put themselves in if it wasn't there. Yeah, I don't want to like repeat myself because you guys are going to listen to the our interview with Rich, uh, Rich Franklin here coming up. But I wanted to, I don't want to repeat myself because I just, as I just repeated myself, <laughs> it was, was, um, is that the fighters will make it? They they will make adjustments as time goes on. Sure, they will. But what I would like, it's like to they s- have in every rule change. Yeah, what I would like to say though is, realistically, I don't think if your hand is down, it should be a down opponent. And now that I'm thinking about it, it should be one knee down. That's it. If your knee is yeah, if your knee is down, if your hands are up, then if your hands are on the ground and your butt's in the air and no knees down, you're not a down guy. You're not down because I can. You can still do something from there actively, like we saw. He hit the peak out. Went to the inside crotch and lift and took him down and got to the top position right to the side choke. He used yep. a, he used the technique where the person who's actually on the front headlock they have nothing. They have an anaconda. They've got they've got a pretty much a possible guillotine. They got a guillotine, possible a possible dars. Yeah. You know they've got they've got two or three items there to do. These guys on their hands and their and their their feet they have a lot of options there. They've got a lot of options. They continue to fight. They can arm drag. They can push by. They can peek out. They can shoot on. They can reshoot on the double. They can. They can Iranian. They can do all sorts of stuff from that position, you know. And none of them can be. You can't hit strikes from there. 
Nothing that can really do damage you from that position. No. So there's got to be there's got to be some adjustments, I think, in that rule, or just start allowing knees to the head, which you're going to see a lot more action in these fights, a lot more action because these guys will not be playing that game anymore. Yeah. I mean, look, you know how many times we hear these people talk about, you know, oh well, all these wrestlers are so boring. Well, then make more of a pitch than to have knees on the ground. If you make more of a pitch <laughs> to have knees on the ground, there's these wrestlers won't be as boring. And I know Dave keeps telling us true. to go to this Rich Franklin interview, but I'm not going to do that just yet because I need him to pull up the last couple things we talked about. Let's go, John. Well, I was, was going to save that for the post, but you want to put them there? You want to save it for the post? What post? Well, I was going to the wrap up after the interview, but that's fine. Oh, you, you, know, you know what? Let's go ahead and you know what? Let's roll right to the interview. Go ahead, John. Take us away. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we are lucky enough to have a guy who was the middleweight champion of the UFC, a guy who had an unbelievable MMA career. He was a math teacher. He was an MMA champion, and now he is part of one championship, our man Rich Ace Franklin. Well, we're always talking about having a second part of your life, and we have got the prime example as our guest, a man who has been aces, Rich Ace Franklin. How are you doing, my man? It is good to see you. You haven't aged at all. I'm, I'm pissed off. Uh, I don't know about all that. I'll tell you what, maybe maybe I, I look a little okay here, you know. There's a lot of stitches on this face too, trust me. But I'll tell you what, I feel it when I wake up in the morning after a long day of training. That is for sure. Are you are I gotta say you're looking a lot like Josh there with the glasses on and everything. You know, it's like what what is going on here? As for, you know, I'm, the further I drift away from my teaching career, the the harder I try to make work to to make myself look yeah. smart. There's not even any glass in these glasses. They're just, they're just frames. Just oh, frames. There you go. I got yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, you and I worked together at 1FC for a while, KSI commentary, and uh, you were more of my boss than anything. But it was one of those things where we got to call some fights side by side. But I, I, t I tell this story all the time. Man, you are someone that is, you work out avidly. You are constantly at the gym. You know, I remember being in Manila with you. Had to hit the gym, Gold's Gym a couple times. Uh, you're always mm -hmm. getting oh, after yeah. it. You're always making sure you're taking care of yourself. I mean, has it gotten harder with all the traveling? It, it is. I, you know, I was telling John before we came on, this year I've done uh, nine trips over to mm -hmm. Asia from here because I was living in Singapore mm -hmm. for a while, working for one, but then I moved back. My home is Cincinnati. It always has been. And so I'm back on this side of the country, but I, I did nine trips overseas uh, for some of the commentary work that I've done. And door to door, from my front door to my hotel room door, is 33 hours. So it's just, it's a, it's a long travel. And I'm going through 12 time zones to get there. And you're just, you know, when you land in a place, you're wrecked, the gyms are closed, you don't feel like working out. You got to do kind of workouts to get yourself back on, like, or get on track for that yeah. side of the planet. So it is, it is quite difficult, but. You know, you just a couple of things that I do. Number one, and when I'm home, or even when I'm on the road, like I'll minimize my time over there so that I can stay as close to this schedule as possible. And uh, I mean, you know this about me, Josh. Like I am spot on, like clean yes. with my nutrition. Like I keep my nutrition on point, and it helps tremendously. Not just with sleep, not adjusting to that side of the planet, but when you kind of get out of whack for a few days, like getting back on track, or if you miss some cardio or whatever, it's, it's not like this huge detriment to your body. So that's probably a big key to, you know, staying in decent shape, particularly. Does it help stage. though that your coach actually is kind of around you because like with Matt Hume being there, it kind of feels like your dad kind of looking over you. If you guys go drinking or if you're out, you know, taking, just doing shit to your body, you know, just being out late or eating like shit. Well, well, you, you remember when we oh, were out yeah. in Beijing, do you I not? do. Okay, so 
any, anybody that's been out with me knows that yeah. I don't drink anyway. And so, you know, Matt and I, we get to train together on occasion, but it, it's the, the show over there has become so complex that we kind of run different schedules. Mm-hmm. So if we can catch breakfast here or there, that's kind of, uh, that's, that's a treat yeah. for us anymore because he's doing his thing. I'm doing my thing. And, and occasionally, you know, we'll get the roll, we'll get the roll, but it's, it's very rare these days. Cause you just, like I said, I'm brought in and I, I try to land, like I'll land on a Wednesday morning there and hit my first obligation. Yeah. So I'll land at like 6am and hit my first obligation yeah. at 10 and I'm right on doing my stuff. John man. and I have learned, I think over the, over the years of traveling, but for me, like I know we have fighter meetings for Bellator at, you know, say 10 in the morning, whatever country we're in 10 or 11, I try to land by eight 30, mm-hmm. get to the hotel. It takes about an hour normally and go right into get basically put, drop your stuff at your hotel room, check in, get dropped off, maybe grab a quick bite go right to the fighter meetings. And after that, maybe try to get a workout in before you go have dinner and whatever it is, you know, in between, you want to get that session in between. Yeah. I'll typically hit those fighter meetings. If I, if I uh, can get a workout in afterwards, I might do that. But usually by the time I hit that, like those fight, my, my meetings with the fighters, particularly for commentary, it'll, you, I, I, that'll start at 10 in the morning. It'll last till say yeah. three in the afternoon. I maybe I grab a bite to eat a quick workout. And by four or five o'clock, like I'm hitting the bed because I'll be back awake again at, at you know, yeah. two in the morning and you know, because it keeps me on this side of the planet, uh, you know, and since I'm only there for four, four and a half days, it's, it's just for me personally, it's the best way to not have to readjust when I get back home. I haven't had that problem. Like what happens is if I just go right to midnight and I sleep and I try to just go to get onto their schedule. But when I get back, I feel like it's so much easier for me to acclimate to back to the U S time. Well, see, I mean, I kind of run double whammy because like with this event that we have coming up, like the one fight night 16, it's on November, it's on November 4th in, in Thailand, but our event will start at say seven 30 in the morning. So, you know, my call time to show up is typically like five, five 15 in the morning. So my, my wake up time is, you know, call it four, four AM or whatever. So if I'm not going to bed till midnight, like a full night of sleep to me is seven, seven or eight in the morning the next day. So, I'm like, no, I'll just keep myself backed up so that I'm waking up at that 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 time because we broadcast here Friday nights, obviously. At I didn't. I forgot that. I forgot that like, you guys are still on your guys' schedule to to entertain Dead. to entertain here though at our times versus yeah 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 we're on we're on East Coast prime time so we have to accommodate to those yeah. time zones so it's the the closer I can keep myself to basically commentating at East Coast prime t- prime time. The better off I am. So if I can go to if I can go to bed at you know five five in the evening or six in the evening and wake up at two or three in the morning, then I'm basically keeping myself on track the whole week anyway. And it's easier to adjust when I get back because it's like I said, it's twelve time zones, yeah. man. It's you know that's about the best pro tip I can give to anybody that has to travel internationally. <laughs> but it only works for short periods yeah. of time. If you're there, if you're there five days or longer, like say longer than five days, then your body will automatically start resetting and then you're just sunk when you get yeah. back anyway. Rich, Rich I, I kind of look at you and, and you and I have experienced the same thing. I've had three careers. You've had three careers. You were mm. a full, full-time math teacher. You became a professional fighter. And now you are the vice president of one of the biggest organizations there is for MMA, uh, also grappling and Muay Thai out there in the one organization. How have you, how have you managed all of that? 
It, well, I mean, you you do one thing at a time, right? It, it, when I was no, teaching, they all crossed well, over. <laughs> you, well, okay, in, they, in fact, yeah. we were doing a commercial, and you were teaching math to one of the kids yeah. there. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, that's right. When we did that Tundra commercial, but, I, but, but well, that's a skill set that that I don't lose. Now, granted, the further I get away from teaching, the rustier I am. Like I had, I had a friend of mine that called me up. He was in like third quarter of college calc, and, he, and he's like, "Can you help me with this?" I was like. Bro, Hell give me no. give me about give me about an hour and fifteen minutes to kind of refresh my memory and study. Literally, and I don't know how, but I was able to figure some stuff out. But you know, the further you get from that, the yeah. more you lose that skill because it's like everything else. The less kicks I throw, the yeah, the worse my kicks skill. are going to be. Exactly. So, I mean, the whole time, like the whole time I was in college, obviously I was training. Oftentimes, when people look at my career, the way that it was marketed or whatever, or it just wasn't explained properly, that. People thought that one day I was teaching and then one day I just jumped in the octagon like, voila, here I am. <laughs> and it obviously didn't work that way. You know, I started, I, I entered martial arts when I was in high school and then I saw the first UFC, which was about the year that I graduated. And from there, the traditional martial arts that I was doing quickly morphed because for me, it was just all about self-defense. So all that training I was doing during college and all during my teaching career, which was a, basically a five-year career. And then when I got to that, that, that last year, I thought like, okay, maybe I can pursue this full time. Cause I'd had, uh, you know, I don't know, a, a, a dozen professional fights at lower level, obviously. And, uh, and so then the goal was to take the right fights that during that year and the subsequent year to set me up where I was being noticed by obviously the largest organization in the world. And so that ended up paying off. But obviously, you, you know, working for an organization like one championship post fight makes sense because I've built equity in this industry. I mean, yeah. we all have, right? And so with that comes a lot of knowledge. And you know me, John, anytime you've worked with me, it's like I'm a student of the game and it doesn't matter. Whatever game I'm in, I'm a student of that game, which is why it seems so crazy that I can I can do something like mathematics one year of my life and then fighting, which seemed diametrically opposed to each other. But it's like whatever it is that I'm going to do, I, I you know, I head into full bore. So for example, when I did like the ultimate fighter. Uh, I, I can remember just hanging out in the production room and asking tons of questions about how things worked. And, and, you know, and when I'm around the UFC events, I was like, you know, when they were having weigh-ins, like watching how the medicals were performed for no other reason. I'm just a curious individual. And so it's that knowledge that kind of paid off for me in my post-fight career with one championship, because not only did I bring my, you know, the integrity and my reputation to that organization, but I also brought that IP in as well, which helped early on with a lot of things, but I mean, I've done so many different jobs for this company that within one championship alone, you could probably say I've had like four or five different careers. How, how long did your, uh, teaching career overlap with your fighting career? Um, just, well, I mean, my entire fighting career, my first amateur, my first amateur match was in 1998. And then I started, you know, fighting professionally shortly thereafter. And so my first teaching year was in 1998, but then I quit teaching full-time in 2002, but I was teaching part-time in an at-risk program all the way up until about two weeks before my title fight with Evan Tanner after the, after the, the Ken Shamrock fight. Cause I used to, my students, the only fighter that the students knew at that time, because this was pre-mainstream mm -hmm. MMA, yeah. like it was right on that cusp. But all my students knew who Ken Shamrock was, so they would always ask me, like, you think you could beat Ken Shamrock? Because he'd, he'd done some WWE wrestling. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then suddenly I'm fighting Ken on, on the season one finale. The first finale. Ultimate Fighter finale. Of the, yeah, and I was like, and then suddenly I was like, and I was still teaching. 
in an at-risk program at the time. And I was like, oh my Lord, I'm going to have to put my money yeah. where my mouth is. Like, I've been, I've been running my mouth, so I better live up to this one. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I just wanted to know how long, because people don't realize in that era, which you and I were kind of part of, you were more on the latter end of where I was. I was just coming up at that time in the in the UFC. But in that process mm. or that time frame, it really was. We had to have full-time jobs. We weren't, we, we were in this oh. sport for the love of it. And people don't, they can't wrap their head kind of around it now. You hear a lot of the millennials now talk like our, like a producer podcast, Dave. Oh, I could have done it. I could have done this. <laughs> but it's like, no, we really had, I was doing construction during the day or I was, you know, doing, um, roofing at the time, you know, sometimes during the summer while I was training. So I'd, you know, run in the morning, do the work and then go back and then run again at night and then train at night. We were, you know, we wouldn't leave the gym until mm. nine 30, 10 o'clock at night knowing that we had a fight coming yeah, up. Absolutely. So just a different era, but a lot of the new fans can't wrap their head around the fact that you're a professional fighter. You shouldn't be fighting. You should be making millions. It wasn't like that. Yeah, there was, there was times. Yeah, there was times when, for example, I would fight on a Saturday. I would get out of school on a Friday uh, at like three, you know, three o'clock in the afternoon and have my friends meet me, just park a car at the school parking lot. And we would drive up to Iowa, for example, because Monty was managing me and I would drive up to Davenport have a fight on a Saturday night, get there late on a Friday, weigh in, fight Saturday, and then come back to class on Monday with on yeah. crutches with a twisted ankle and a black eye. Like it was common practice for me uh, back then. And you, you, you got to if you rewind yourself back to that 2000, 2002 timeframe, this is when John McCain called him in May yeah. human cockfighting, right? Like it didn't have the best order, the, the best reputation, but at my school, the administration was super supportive. The parents didn't have an issue with that. Actually, most of the parents of the kids that I taught when I had when we had parent teacher conference nights, like the average turnout for a room would be twenty five to thirty percent, and my classes were typically like eighty to ninety percent of the parents would show up because they wanted to meet yeah. me because their kids are going home talking about this professional wrestler, kickboxer, yeah. whatever. They didn't even know what the sport was back then. They didn't yeah. know. So that was that that was my life. That's a big deal for you to think the education system or the what would you call them? The the principal and the, the staff would allow like administration, administration would allow you to come yeah. in with black eyes, busted lips, and like you're teaching their kids like, what did you do over the weekend? And you have to explain. But the yeah. thing is, it's kind of educating those young kids, like, look, I can still fight and control my temper and take care of myself and I can still make money on the side. This is still a sport and just getting it at a young age, being able to educate them at a young age was very important. Yeah. They had, they had more of a problem with me wearing things like flip flops while I was teaching because that was unprofessional. <laughs> I'm not joking. I got, I, I got, I got pulled into the principal's office one time for wearing flip flops to school. I am not Great. kidding. And, and I remember saying to the principal, I was like, so you're telling me I'm going to wreck these kids lives by wearing flip flops while I'm teaching. <laughs> Like dead serious, but no, they were, they were super. I wish my math teacher wore flip flops. Well, that's the thing. Like you can, as a, as a strong, I mean, like high schools, high schools and and the teaching at like educators, they need good, strong male role models in the school. Like it's a needed thing. So when you have a good, strong male role model, like myself teaching your high school kids, it's like the school knows what they have. I'm, I'm a person that takes care of 99% of my problems in class. Like I'm not sending kids to, to, the class to the principal's office for arguing or whatever. It's like, I, I approach this like, what, what you guys, you guys are arguing in my classroom. Oh, well, we're going to settle this right now. Like, let me just, you know, take my fake glasses off type of thing. So these actually really well, do have lenses. You know, in it, it seems just fitting that back then they were having problems with you wearing, you know, flip-flops in class, but then now we're allowing hoodies and shorts and flip-flops at the, on the house floor. 
I think is what we're allowing now in, in Congress, which is lovely. <laughs> yeah, oh, man. I mean, it just goes to show you that you don't need to wear a suit and no. tie to, to get a high paying job or be uber nope, successful. Not at all. Uh, I mean, look, yeah. uh, John, are we going to look back on his career? Are we going to go over this? That's a, you know, Rich, do you want, do you want to go back on your career a little bit? We can talk quickly on it. You had a fantastic career. Let's be honest. That's you an won. abbreviated version of it. Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, well, I mean, look, you, you came into the UFC, you were on fire for a while there. You got your title shot against Evan Tanner, who had won the title against, it was a vacant title, beat David Terrell. Yeah. Uh, he, he got the title and then you came in and you took it right away from him. When you won that title, what was what did that mean to you? Or was it almost like, hell, what am I doing here? Because you did beat Ken Shamrock. Let's let's make that clear. You did win that, even though no one remembers that fight. I hate yeah. to say. Yeah, it. I know it's it got erased that, by uh by um by Bonner, by Bonner and, uh, and Bonner and Griffin, Griffin Forrest. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, but you um, did beat no. Ken Shamrock. But then you took that title, and you've had you had an amazing career. You really did. Was yeah, winning the I, I championship the highlight? No, 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 not at okay. all. Actually, That's what I want to know. Uh, okay, so, you know, like, the highlight of my career is way more personal than winning a championship. I mean, having that belt wrapped around your waist is a cool yeah. – it's a very cool feeling. And knowing that, that the hard work that you've done paid off to the point where you reached the pinnacle of something, to be considered the best in the world at what it is that you do, like – very few people can, can claim that in the world. Right. Even if it's for a short period of time, it's like people can say, oh, I'm really good at this or I'm ranked in the top or whatever. But very few people can say I am the absolute best at what it is I do. But that's pale in comparison because, you know, going back to the discussion we had before about the status of MMA and, and you know, the 2000, 2002 era, and we did it for the yeah. love of the sport and the thought of actually making a living doing this. When I think back now at this age of myself who decided to – quit a job teaching. Now, keep in mind that I was my, my father's only son to graduate from college. And my dad, who barely graduated high school, went back to university himself to become uh, a nurse. And so he and I actually graduated from the University of Cincinnati basically the same year. Oh, and so that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. He highly valued education. Um, and then so when I basically, after, after four years of teaching or at the, you know, five years, including what I did in my schooling said, Hey dad, listen, I'm going to pursue MMA as a career. Like he saw me just throwing away my education. He's like, you're going to just throw away your education like that. And I swear, no, I think my dad wanted to, yeah, but he wanted to punch me that day. Like <laughs> in his mind, it was like, I was throwing everything away. And, and so, you know, the thought of like, like how naive I was, which, which is a beautiful thing because you have to take these yeah. leaps of faith in life if you're going to if you're going to accomplish something great, you know. And it's like I had faith in myself, I had faith in God, I had faith that things were going to work out in some way, shape, or form or another. And so I decided to 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 do this. And looking back now, the older version of myself, you get possibly you get a little bit more conservative. It's like, man, that actually was a crazy decision. But the highlight of my career is when I fast forward, my dad came to Vegas to watch me defend my title. And we sat down. I remember he was eating. I was eating ice chips because I was cutting weight and he was eating and we, it was me and him and his girlfriend and we had dinner. And I just remember my dad looked at me and he said, Hey man, he goes, you know what? I'm really proud of you for the decisions that you made in life to pursue your dreams. Even when I was doubtful that you might actually accomplish something great here. He's like, what you've done is more than amazing. And my, my father's pride in me like way outweighs any belt, yeah. any victory, 
any retribution of a loss, like any of that kind of stuff in my career, like that moment sticks out to me more than anything. But if I'm talking about fights, I could go down a different rabbit hole. And probably my, the, my favorite fight in my career, the biggest highlight moment was my Luter fight. And because really? like Travis Luter. Yep. Yeah. Cause it's my worst winning performance. <laughs> and, 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 you know, like, I mean, John, you refereed my Nate mm-hmm. Corey fight. So, you know, like I was in control of that match from start to finish. Yep. And I got a highlight reel knockout and, and not that, you know, I mean, Nate was game, yeah. man. I mean, he was a tough fighter too. And it's easy to look at fights like that and be like, oh, you know, that was yeah. great. Or you can talk about like breaking my arm in the Chuck fight or breaking my hand in the Loazo fight. But the looter fight was like, it was like a quicksand fight. It was one of those fights where I was training with Hume for this. He prepped me for the fight. We laid out a game plan. He had the game plan nailed to AT. We, we did all the drills we needed to do. And looter executed exactly the way that he predicted Exactly. And in the fight, like I just, it's like the first puzzle came my way and I failed. And then he did the next thing and I failed. And, and I, and I failed like five times on all the drills that we were doing. It's like I had the solutions, but I wasn't executing. And it got to the point where Luter had mounted me. And I mean, even in camp, Matt, he looked at me and he said, look, if, if he mounts you, the fight's over. Like don't get mounted. And so I had this moment where I mentally broke in that match. And it, just for this moment, like I was like, oh, my God, I've lost this fight. And then I was like, no, wait a minute. Absolutely not. And then I fed him the arm and did that hitchhiker escape, escape and came out. And then, of course, after that, like even on my feet, when, like he was he, he mentally broke at that point. But once I got back to my feet, then I was just headhunting because that was the biggest knockout bonus that the UFC had announced at the time. So I was like, I, like I was just doing everything I could to try to get that knockout bonus. And my, I looked I just looked horrible start to finish in that fight. But it was a winning fight, and it, it taught me a lot about what I was personally made of. And so, you know, when I look back at my career, I look at, like, these different aspects that other people, they won't, they won't see. They don't know because they haven't sure. walked a mile in my shoes kind of thing. No, I, I, I have a very similar breakdown to that whole thing. I mean, like, my family, same way. They just yeah. were like, hey. Like, they constantly were telling me, like, what are you doing with your life? You know, you have an education. Like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Like, this is stupid. Like, you're wasting time. You should be a plumber. You should be an electrician. You should join the union. Great benefits. Great pensions. All these things. And I was like, no, I just want to keep trying this. You know, I'm literally just lip sleeping on Bob Cook's couch, you know, for a while until the two of us got mm-hmm. a place together. There's that. And then, like you said, stages of your career, uh, fights that stood out to you. Um, you know, for me, it was the Hermes Franca fight. You know, I got dropped in that fight in the third round, came back, was able to win the third round, you know, kind of won the first two. It's like, those are the moments. Sure. The belt is great, you know, but it sits like if we didn't have this podcast, it would literally be in my closet probably, but now it's back behind me. You know what I mean? Like it's, I don't- it's one of those things. I don't even have an ego wall. Yeah. I have I have two pictures two pictures hanging in my house. My belts are in my yeah. safe. I don't I don't uh, they're not displayed anywhere. And I have two pictures hanging in my house. One is a before and after picture of my Jorge Rivera fight and like that was a fight where that was the first fight I had in my career where I was like this is what it feels like to be a professional fighter because he beat the crap out of me, man. Like I had hematomas yeah. all over my foot. My eye was swelled shut, stitches I needed. And then the other one I have is a, a nice panoramic of Nationwide Arena in Columbus when, when I fought and won in my home state one time. And it was a sold-out crowd, and we set a record. But other than those two photos, like, there's nothing in this home that's remnant of me even being a professional. You would walk in and be like, whose yeah. house is this? I just I feel like yeah. the, the gap is – things have changed from our era to we took pride in that – these are the things that made us like we fought demons. There was demons, I think inside of us in that first generation or second and third generation of fighters that like whatever the demons mm-hmm. were inside, we looked for something more in terms of purpose, 
I feel like this generation of fighters that they're at now, it's all about the money. You know, and don't get me wrong, we love the money. We wanted the money back then. It just wasn't available. Oh, yeah. It wasn't available. I mean, listen, I, I wasn't going to complain if somebody added another decimal place <laughs> on my paycheck. Like, that's, that's <laughs> I mean, come on, yeah. you know, but, but, uh, but at the end of the day, like, I'm, even at the end of my career, I lost my last fight against Kong. And I got to a point where I had told myself, like, I would never just fight for money. It had to be for the passion of the sport. And after I lost that fight, I knew that if I was going to make another title run, it was get, I was getting late in my 30s. And the, the amount of time that it would have taken me, I was like, I don't know that I have this much time left. And I had one more fight on my contract. And I'm like, I'm just going to be doing this for money. And that just didn't yeah. sit well with me, the idea of that. And so there had to be some, some honor and pride in what it was that I was, was doing. So, yeah, just at that point in time, it took me a while to truly – uh, come to terms with the fact that it was time for me to retire because from my last fight, it took me like another um, year and a half to announce, to actually publicly announce my retirement. Although people knew uh, by that time, but yeah, I was like, it's just a tough thing to do, man. That's your first love. What, what made it so hard? It's because, you know, it, the funny thing is like you, it's like, I, I, I win the title. I have the title. I lose the title to Anderson. I work my way back to Anderson and it's the true Cinderella story. It's in my hometown. And I lose my, t I lose that title, uh, you know, shot the second time to him. And at that point, you're, I'm in my mid thirties basically. And people are starting like, well, you know, what, when are you going to retire? Like you start yeah. getting asked these questions. And it's like, it's like, man, like when a, for example, when an NFL quarterback wins a Super Bowl, let's say somebody wins a Super Bowl in their late twenties and then they continue playing. Like nobody says to them three or four years later, well, you won a Super Bowl four years ago, uh, but you haven't won one since. So when are you going to retire? It's like, I still got five years of doing what I love the most in this sport and, and just enjoying competition. And so I was at that crossroads where I was like, man, I really, I still enjoy this. And the thought of doing something else was just, it, di it didn't sit well with me at that time, you know? And in my mind now, I, I watch, I watch guys fight. It's crazy. The the way my mind works now at this age, I'll watch, I'll watch young guys fight. And, uh, and I'll say, I think I'll say to myself, like, man, why do people do this? Like, why? But then, but at the same time, it's almost like when I watch the younger version of myself fight, it's as if I'm watching somebody different while simultaneously, I'll tell myself like, I could maybe do one or two more. Like, it's like, like yeah. that, that whole juxtaposition in my, in my head of mental thought is insane to me. Like it makes me question yeah. my sanity. Truly. I walk past the cage. I'm like, God, it looks, that just feels horrible and sounds. He cringes. Cringe. Also, he'll, a, a big kick or something to land and he'll look and he'll go like, Oh, why, why, are, why are you guys doing <laughs> that? Well, I'll tell you, it took me, it took me, um, it took me probably, I don't know. I want to say a good four years after my career to get to the point where I wasn't where, I, where when I showed up to a fight, like when we're doing commentary that I didn't feel like I was actually there competing, mm. like the same kind of nerves and whatnot. Yeah. yeah it's like, it, it, that stuff messes with you, man. And, and to this day, I do not like listening to my walkout song. Like it puts me in a completely different <laughs> state of mind. Really? I won't wow. listen to it. Yeah. If I'm in the gym working out, like I'll, I'll go over to the radio and turn that crap off. <laughs> yeah. It's sparking that, uh, inner, it's kindling, kindling that little thing. Dude, man. It's great. Yeah, like the last thing last thing I need is to be stuck in L.A. traffic and then suddenly my, my walkout <laughs> song comes on. That little guitar riff for those about to rock, man, I'm probably like like falling down like Michael Douglas, just I'll snap or something. 
in your opinion, with all the people that you fought, because you fought a who's who, we're talking about, you know, guys like Chuck Liddell, Anderson Silva, Vitor Belfort, all these guys that you face, Ken Shamrock. If In looking back on your career, is there one that you say, this was the guy that I was most excited about? This is the guy that I thought was the best. Um, I would say the guy that I was most excited about and most scared of simultaneously was Vanderlei Silva. Okay. Like I like I to this day I'm still trying to figure out if they call him the axe murderer because he's so mean that he murders axes <laughs> or tell, if he uses I, 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 if I was he there, uses axes to murder people. I was there when he got his when he got his nickname, so I can tell <laughs> yeah. you the story. <laughs> tell me the tell me the the abbreviated version. The abbreviated that. version is Frank Shamrock was supposed to fight uh John Lober while Vitor Belfort was supposed to fight Jerry Bolander, if you remember him. Yeah. Jerry Bolander pulls out. And John Peretti is the matchmaker, and he brings in Vanderlei Silva. And Vitor Belfort is sitting there saying, I don't want to fight another Brazilian. I'll fight Frank. You know, I'll fight anybody else. I don't want to fight. He didn't want to fight Vanderlei. And yeah. it was, and, and Peretti says, no, this is you're going to fight. He goes, I understand. He's a fucking axe murderer. Uh, and that's yeah, how he got uh, his name. That, so, that was it. <laughs> you know, I always thought it would be cool, like, because I, I, I watched Vanderlei and Pride and everything, and, yeah. and that stare down, and the, mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, this, that's great. Oh, man, yeah. and I just was like, it would be so cool to stand across the, the, the ring from him until I was standing across the <laughs> ring from him. And then I was like, in what world did yeah, I ever what, think this what would be a good idea? Here. This yeah. would be a good I idea. Love yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Um, uh, John? No, I think we need to yeah. transition into what is your your latest career. Well, actually, yeah, it is your latest career because you were actually didn't you invest in some yogurt uh, company stuff? Oh, I did actually. Yeah, you had, had a couple had of a, uh, shops. Yeah, I had had a, a chain out in L.A. Ran that for a little while. Man, like being passionate about nutrition and running F and B, food and beverage for if you don't know that is is two completely different things. (laughs) And I got into that business, and I was like, I was like, man, what have I done? I am way outside of my wheelhouse, and uh, yeah, so that that was that was uh, definitely tough. But it it was a cool, like it was a cool period of time. Like I did that for about two two and a half years, and then just kind of piecemeal sold the business off. And ended up taking the job with uh with one championship. I'm gonna ask you one more question on your nutrition though. You, you as as Josh said, you have always been this guy that you the the way that you took care of yourself, the nutritional side of what you put in your body. But you always had that one day. It was almost like one day out of the week or one day out of every two weeks that you would just eat whatever the hell it was that you wanted. You still yeah, do that? I, I I don't anymore. Okay. And the reason why. I, you know, there's a couple different reasons. Like, I will have the occasional call it like cheat meal, but back at that time, John, like, I, I don't know if you'd ever been with me when I did one of those cheat meals, but it was no big deal for me to to as an appetizer dust oh. off a dozen dozen Krispy Kremes. Like, yes. it was like, you know, so and that that was like that was just me getting started. I'm like, oh wow, okay, now where are we going? <laughs> but but the reality is, like, as you get older, you realize it's. Look, you can treat yourself like like you can treat yourself like a Toyota Camry, or you can treat yourself like a Formula One car. And I'm as an athlete, you are a Formula One race car, and you can't put 87 or 90, even 93 octane in an F1. It just doesn't work. And so when you're putting that kind of crap in there, like that's essentially what that it is 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 bad fuel. Now, if I want some junk, like for me, 
you know, typically like I'll do like, um, like I, I like a good ham, like a good hamburger. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'll, I'll get a good hamburger. It's not that bad. You can get some like sourdough bread. I don't eat bread very often, but, but then it's like, I'll avoid things like uh, traditional ketchups that have like high fructose corn syrup in it. I'll get organic ketchups. There's a couple brands on the market that taste like, I mean, when you grow up on like a Heinz 57, it's hard to replace yeah. that flavor. It's sugar. But yeah, but there's a couple ketchups, that, the organic ketchups that are made with things like mm-hmm. apple juice that, that actually taste um, like a standard mm-hmm. ketchup. And so like a good burger or I remember I went to the movies one time and I was craving something sweet. Typically like living overseas, coconut water, man, dude, like coconut. I could just, I could live off of fresh young Thai coconuts. They're just, they're amazing. So I could drink like five or six of those typically satiates my sugar craving. But if I want something that's like more desserty, you know, say years ago when I was a kid, I would have gone to the movies and maybe I wanted like some peanut M&Ms. Like now I'll go and get like some dark, dark chocolate covered mm-hmm. almonds that are made with better quality ingredients. So I'm just not putting this crap in my system. And now there, it's not as much of a cheat meal as it is maybe like a refeed. And I'll, it, it, typically like I don't, I eat so much nutrient dense food that I don't really crave like if I'm craving sugar, like a handful of blueberries does it for me type of thing. And, but I eat so much food nutrient dense cause I eat six times a day that I'm full. I'm always full. So I never have the room for like, Oh, you know, I'd like some chips or something like that. And, uh, but when I am like, when I am, if I, if I feel myself craving sugar, then I know that on that particular day, like I haven't had enough starchy, like enough carbohydrates based on say my output ratio. If I've, you know, spent some time in the gym, maybe I did legs that day. And then suddenly, you know, mid evening, I'm starting to really crave sugar. It's like, I haven't eaten enough carbs a day. That's typically what my body is telling me. And you just, at this age, I get, I'm at a point where I'm so finely tuned with my body that when something's out of whack and, and, you know, I know like I've tried, uh, I've tried like the the blending the green drinks and doing that in the morning. I did that for years and years. I recently did the carnivore diet and I felt really great on that as well. I love that. Yeah. But I've kind of landed in between because I know that the way that my body processes carbohydrates, for example, the way that it processes carbohydrates is like, I, I need a certain amount of carbohydrates in my day. So the way my nutrition has landed is I'm taking in about probably about 20 to 25% of my daily calories or carbs. And that works for me you know, personally. And I mean, we're all genetically different. unique in our own yeah. ways and everybody processes things differently. So, you know, for some people, a carnivore diet w- will work really well. And for other people, you know, maybe a vegan diet or whatever. You know, so it's like, it's like to each their own, but you just have to find really what works for yeah, you. I agree. Uh, the yogurt shops, were those, were those with Dan Caldwell? Okay. No, it, it was, this was on my own. And no. it actually, it wasn't a yogurt shop. It was a, uh, organic juice, Got it. uh, like a juice cafe. And we had like some, um, quick grab and go food items and some bakery got items. It, it. Cause Dan had got into the well. Dan yeah. from tap out had got into the frozen yogurt shops too, into the LA area, kind of that area. So I was wondering yeah, if you guys yeah. were together cause you were, you were sponsored by them for the longest time. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. They, they, man, they They're were American. always great, man. I love the tap out guys yeah. are awesome, man. I was such, such good friends with them. Um, you know, I mean, I yeah. still am like if they called me for a favor today, I'd be like, what do you guys <laughs> need? Um, yeah, I actually just, uh, went back and forth with Dan on, um, on Instagram recently. So good guy. Yeah. Really good guy. You, you know what he's doing, right? Dan. Yep. No. What's he doing? He is, uh, he's now working for bare knuckle FC, bare knuckle fighting championships. Oh, I didn't know that. No, yeah, it's kind of does sponsor stuff, stuff and nice. sets things up for him. So Interesting. it's, it's, it's a small world. Yeah. This industry. It really oh, is. Man, you know? It's crazy. It really is. Yeah. 
I mean, let's, let's right, get let, into let one. Let me ask you this. Let's talk about one and tell me what it is to you. What is it that makes 1FC special and different in a way, but better than others? Uh, well, you, if, have, you ever been, have you ever been to a show, John? I have never been to one live, no. I've, been, yeah, I've watched a ton on TV and different things, but never been to one. Well, so I'm doing the work here in the U.S., so you're going to have to come watch one one time. Dude, um, the day you invite me is the day I'm coming. <laughs> oh, well, then, okay. Can, first of all, consider it an open invitation, but I will make sure that I personally reach out to you before the next show so that okay. you know that you're welcome to come. Um, but, uh, you, you know, I mean, Josh has been there. He's been in the commentary booth with me, and they do a good job. Like That was the one all, part kind that kind of like, had me, like, yeah, I'm not too sure. <laughs> what a guy. <laughs> what a guy. What a guy. Listen, let me tell you, uh, jo- Josh, at the top of the hour here, Josh called me his boss yeah. at the time. And maybe technically I was in the company, but he's a way better commentator than me for sure at the time too. So, Thanks, so uh, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't know how that dynamic worked. But, um, and, and he also had my back at that bar in Beijing, yes, by I the did. way, too. I know yes, you remember that incident, Josh. So, uh so, yeah, um, but, you know, one championship, like, I like the formatting of the show. First of all, you, you, we talked, briefly mentioned it earlier in this conversation about the different disciplines. Yep. You know, we, we do special rules matches, kickboxing matches, Muay Thai matches, submission grappling matches, and then obviously our bread and butter MMA. And, and when we first, when Chatri first introduced this concept to the leadership team, I remember sitting on the phone on the opposite side of this conference call and he's like, I want to, I want to put a Muay Thai match on the card. And I was just like, who, who comes to an MMA event to watch Muay Thai? Like that was, that was my reaction. And then I, I watched the first event where we had a Muay Thai match and I was like, yeah, it was pretty good, but I don't want to like it. So I'm not going <laughs> to like it. And then I, I, I watched, I watched like the second one with a Muay Thai match and I was like, Damn it! This is actually a really good idea, you know. Yeah. And so it was like, I, like I was, uh, I was born again, I guess, so to speak, with with the the concept. And so this idea of these different matches, we we do a good job of matchmaking with, you know, Matt. He does an amazing job matchmaking mm-hmm. these these uh, these fighters. And so I, I think that that dynamic of the different disciplines that we have brings a whole different element to the show. I think that the fans like it. I think there's a huge Muay Thai following in the U.S. more than than people realize because it's like watching it's like watching MMA without any of the yeah. takedowns and better stand up really because we have our Muay Thai matches in the four That's ounce awesome. gloves. Exactly. Um, who who is who is the one that decided to do that? Was it Matt Hume? Because I love the Muay Thai matches with the MMA gloves. Both Josh and I, I do. We know, talk about it all the time. I can't remember whose idea that was, so I'll take credit for it. On <laughs> Good job, way to go, Rich. I brilliant. like that. Yeah, it's brilliant. Just you know, it's just brilliant. Just an, and it, yeah, I mean, you know, it's just one of the one of the things yeah. I do in my spare time. You know, it's like I just come up with no, I have come up with some good ideas for the company. So, um, but yeah, I, I honestly, I don't know whose whose idea that was. But you know, talking about one, I, I think that one of the things you you would notice, John, when you come to the event, is that when we do our full scale events and we have the LED wall and the customized computerization, the walkouts that we do for each fighter, it's, it, it adds a different level of entertainment to the event. And I think that that is something that sets us apart. I think it, that it, it shows on TV, but being actually in the stadium, you can really, really tell the difference there. And that's, those are the things from an entertainment perspective. When I'm talking about the martial art, the different martial arts and whatnot uh, that, that I, re- that I really like. I think that our, our rule set, particularly the judging, I personally like the 
the judging in the entirety. I like our, our judging system, our judging criteria. I, I think that the, the way the rules are set up pushes the athletes to uh, press the action more with the yellow card system and just, and the judging criteria is set in a way to push the athlete to finish the fight. And I think it, that combined with the hydration protocols makes for athletes that are able to perform at a hundred percent rather than, I mean, I've done this my whole fight, right? It's like, there's an event and cutting weight and then getting back to weight and this psychology of, Oh, well, if I can outweigh my opponent by a few pounds, you know, I, I weighed in three pounds heavier than him after, you know, on fight day, then I have this advantage type of thing. And when, you know, when you're fighting in the gym on a Tuesday night training, you don't think of a two or three pound advantage as really an advantage necessarily. And so the idea is that these athletes are competing at their, their full hydrated potential. So I think that it's a combination of all these things that make for, uh, a more exciting event. Um, we talk, we John and I do talk about the the Muay Thai all the time in terms of your guys's kickboxing. You guys started implementing boxing as well, but with the MMA gloves, which is I believe your last was your last show had your guys's first time with the boxing with MMA gloves. Am I correct? Well, it wasn't it wasn't actually a boxing match because it it's it was considered special. That's rules what I was going to get into. What are the was, special rules on this? Yeah. Yeah, because basically, I mean, I guess you could say it was like a boxing match, but you were allowed to dirty box as well. So, you know, like clinch in the back of the head and, mm -hmm. and work in that dirty on the those inside combinations, you could do that. So it takes it out of the boxing category. Now, my next question was, was you guys started moving over to the States. When you guys came over to the States, what hurdles did you guys have to get through, though, to guy, for you guys to be able to implement your rule system? Well, I mean, we're still yeah. hurdling, you know. Uh, I, I have, Do you wait um, before you go I'm, on? I'm do you feel like you guys are kind of like the beginnings of the UFC, like having to talk to every commission, having to deal with, you know, being, you know, these different types of rule structures that you guys are trying to get implemented? And you feel like that kind of? Yeah, a, a little bit at times. And some of the commissions are open to it. Obviously, some of them are a bit more closed down. I think that that um, if I'm just being quite honest here, politics play a role in some of these states. Yeah, but the re <laughs> yeah, right, right. So, but here's 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 what I find myself. I find myself in a parallel universe of where I was in um, in 2003, 2004 with the UFC. I find myself in a situation where. You know, back then, the thought of punching someone on the ground was foreign to people, mm -hmm. right? Remember yeah. this, John? Like, oh, God, it, yeah. it's even ingrained. It's ingrained in our films. The fact that you can, the fact that you can hit the ground and then follow up with somebody. Like, even you watch an old John Wayne western. As soon as somebody oh, hits the ground, they're like, "Get up, get up, boy!" Right? Okay. And that's how it is. The first so, time, the first ahead. time I met Lorenzo Fertitta was at UFC 21. They came to watch it because we were trying to get licensed and regulated in the state of Nevada. He was on the commission, and I go to dinner with him, and the first thing that he said is, I don't like seeing a guy get punched on the ground. And I said, look, I, I understand that. I said, I said, but you need to understand you like boxing, and you are, you're accustomed to what you see in movies. I said, John Wayne hits somebody, knocks him down. He doesn't go over there, jump and mount him and start pounding on him. He grabs him, picks him up, stands him back up, and pops him again. And he goes, yeah. And I go, that's not real fighting. That's the movies. Yeah. <laughs> and that was, I swear to God, I was like, oh, we're in for a deep one on yeah. this one. But he ended up being the guy that bought the whole thing. Yeah, so. exactly. But see, now I'm, I'm, in, I'm in the same, like this same system. Like most of the discussions with the states that I talk to come down to knees of the head of a grounded opponent. Like sure. there, are other, there are other rule differences, the hydration protocols. 
Uh, we have some restrictions on suplexes so that you can't throw a guy on his head, which is kind of the same as the spiking rule. Uh, but I mean, this is particularly like you basically what I tell, what I tell people when they were fighting for the warrior series that I was running years ago was that if you pick someone up, it is your responsibility to make sure they don't land on their head. And so, you know, we have some other restrictions that make it safer. These things never become a problem. Our hydration protocols, some of the medical standards that we have typically go above and beyond those of the, um, of the state, the state requirements. Yeah. What, but it, it boils down to the needs of head or ground opponent. And, like I've kind of made the argument that I I believe wholeheartedly that I could land a knee with greater force uh, standing, plumb clenched, having someone bent over in the optimal position, pulling their face into my knee than I could uh, if I was like in a half guard or side mounted on someone try- or even in a north-south position. Because the moment you rear up with a knee or an elbow or anything from a striking position on the ground, you're pulling pressure off of your opponent. So anybody that has any you know, uh, experience grappling knows that you have to be quite careful when you are throwing these kinds of strikes. And so, so it's like, you know, I'll make this argument. And when you look at the data in one championship, we've had over the, over the entire history of this organization, we've had 20 fights that have finished with a combination that involved a knee to the head of a grounded opponent. Only 20 fights that have finished that way. Now, there are other combinations during the match that might land where a knee lands to the head of a ground opponent. But the whole point is that the data kind of shows that what ends up happening is that it pushes the action to a different location, that there aren't a ton of finishes out of you know over 1,600 MMA matches at this point in time. And, and with that being said, the, the other thing that I pointed out is in the history of this organization, in the 12 years that we've, we've been doing MMA matches, we haven't had one fighter that's lost a match that involved a knee, that involved a combination that involved the knee to the head of a grounded opponent that had more than a standard 30 or 60 day medical suspension. And you can't say that about even legal techniques yeah. in any rule set. Kick to the face of a standing opponent. Have, have, there's instances where it's led. And this is the only thing so far that has a hundred percent track record. So, you know, that's, that's kind of my argument for why I do not believe that this is uh, nearly as dangerous as people think it is. But we're in this world where people see somebody get need well, and it's like rewinding the clock to 2002 and somebody's <laughs> watching somebody, somebody get punched on the ground. They're like, Oh, I can't, I can't well, watch that, this. Well, and you, now you, it's just normalized. One of the things you're going to figure out, and this is what <laughs> I went through with the early UFC was you don't have, you don't really have to fight reality. You have to fight perception. Because, see, when you talk about what these guys are thinking, they perceive something to be more dangerous. It doesn't mean that it's true, but it's their perception. And so their perception is reality to them, and it's the truth to them. And so now you've got to try to fight through that perception and get them to understand that maybe what you're you're, the way you're looking at it might not be completely right. And you have to do that in a way that doesn't offend them. It's not an easy thing to do. Look, I mean, I've been doing the same thing. The work you were doing is the same work I was doing because I was the poster boy for this during my era, right? Oh, look, yeah. smart people do this too. This guy was a high school math teacher. Yep. And so that's why that's why the UFC at the time used me to open up Germany, used me to open up Ireland in two markets, used me to open up Canada, used me to – like I opened up tons of foreign markets yep. for that particular reason because I can speak well 
to the press on, on this particular subject matter. So I get it, man. It's, it's, and you are, your perception is reality. That's yeah. But I, I, I was, <laughs> I was on the, I was on the phone yesterday yeah. with Andy Foster for about 45 minutes, just talking over a 10, eight round, but I also got into the knees and the head of the grounded opponent and, and how these type of things can be changed and should be changed um, because it does create more action. But just like in any sport, when you implement a new rule, Let's just say we say we implement it. Well, we don't implement it next fight. We say, hey, we're going to start implementing this rule January 1st. That gives the fighters four months to start training for this so they can be adjusted to how they can adapt to being kneed in the head. So they're not taking direct shots. It's no different than when they're on the feet, right? Mm. This, the knees to the head on the feet are legal. But guess what? We train those. We understand how to avoid them, how to keep our head and our posture up, all of these type of things to avoid that full-on pressure of the head being pulled down and in the knee right into the knee. So I think if you were to pitch an argument to the commission and after talking with Andy, he's not opposed to having knees to the head of a grounded opponent, but it's just, there's gotta be, there's got, we've got to figure out ways to get there though, in terms of like, like John said, perception is the way we shape that is that these fighters aren't, we're not asking them to tomorrow fight with knees to the head of ground opponent. You say, look, just like any other technique, the NFL, the, the major league baseball and the NBA all change rules every off season. What do those fighters, what do those athletes do? They go to the gym and they figure out how to work around those rules. Athletes will always try to find a way to beat the rule system, whether it's sitting halfway in a crouched position to play the hand fingers on the game of a downed opponent or whatever it is. They're going to find ways to cheat the rules and work to their benefit. That's what we do. And so if you pitch that argument, it's like, look, we're not changing the rule next week. We're changing the rule January 1st or April 15th or whatever it is. It gives them time to train, gives them time to better prepare for it. So there is even less of the knockouts that what you're talking about of damage being done. That's the way I think I kind of, we kind of pitch it to the, the commissions and then see what they rebuttal with. And then you try to come back with another answer. It's a pro, it's going to be a long process. Yeah, I think. Oh, well, for it's sure. A it's a process. long process. But, but I mean, I've, I've actually had quite a bit of success at this point in time. Um, and you know, the way I see this, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, uh, the way that things can exist. You, you play college ball, you know, there's different rule, there's rule sets like in college football versus NFL, one foot inbounds yeah. versus two feet inbounds or the CFL. You can motion towards the line of scrimmage, but you can't in the NFL. And so these are both, these are both football. Both of them are games of football, but they have, you know, the CFL has a 20 yard deep end zone. It has a, a 55 yard line. Like it's the same game, but it's different. And similarly, it's the same game, but it's different. And so, you know, that's, that's the way I see it. it during, like during my professional career, you know, I fought in the dark ages of MMA. My first fight was in 1998. There weren't athletic commissions that existed yeah. regulating MMA at the time. So you would go to one state that required that, that, where you were allowed to elbow on the ground and you would go to another state where you weren't, or you would go to one state where you could, and the rules were like, and on the fly, we were just kind of like, mm, Rich. Mm, mm, mm. Now I don't think that's the s smartest thing. To I, do, Rich, right? I no, had my first not, fight not at the end of 97 and I gotta be honest, we, we exactly. showed up and we said, we made the rules. Okay. Knees on the down. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Elbows. No, no, no elbows. Okay. Like we made the rules as we went. Like when we showed up, you both weighed in and you said, these are the rules. <laughs> and the person there said, okay, we, we fought, uh, we had, uh, one of the fights. Remember the old karate style cotton gloves? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Those, the, 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 the ones like, you wear yeah, like a point, point tournament. tournament. Yeah. The, oh, yes. The, the white yeah. cotton gloves. Yeah. 
with like a pigeon toe finger. It was like a pigeon toe, like two fingers went in one and two fingers went in the other. It looked like a ninja shoe. Uh huh. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was it was the Star Trek. Yes, it was. It was Nanu. Remember Nanu, Nanu, Uh, Mork and Mindy. (laughs) Yeah, Mork and Mindy. The millennials watching the show, they're not going to get that. No no idea what we're talking about. Uh, we just age ourselves. Yeah, I, I'm, it's funny because at the time, Randy Couture was the one that he he would get pissed off at me because we changed the rules almost every show in the beginning. So he started at UFC 13, and when he went to UFC 15, there was a couple different rules that were in place. And then he went from UFC 15 to UFC, I think it was <laughs> t- Japan, and it was another rule in place. And he's like, God damn it, John. He says, at least call me and tell me what these fucking rules are so I can practice for them. And it's like, I'm sorry, brother. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, you know, that, that, that whole process, that's, I think that, that, um, you know, that's, that, that's what ends up having to happen. And one is kind of a disruptor to the market right now coming into the U S with a different, like a different mindset on this thing. And much like the UFC at that time, like had, had there not been rule changes in this refining of, you know, resharpening the sword, resharpening the sword each time. And we, and we should always yeah. be doing that. Like, I think that, always. I think that the entire industry at this point in time should really be looking at, for example, hydration protocols. They don't need to copy ones, but I think that this weigh in process that we go through, it's, it's, we're just at a point where we've seen enough fighters that have collapsed on scales and everything else where it's, it's something that the powers that be in all organizations should be considering. And it's a difficult thing to change. Like the, the mindset and philosophy of the fighters is not an easy thing to change. All right, I got to If you're bringing up the the hydration thing, there are people that talk about one's hydration testing, and they say we cheat at it all the time. And yeah, and, and that's nothing against ones because people no. cheat at everything. It's the same thing that Josh just said. I yeah. like I don't I don't know how they would how they would be able to cheat when you like I guess you could like there I guess there are ways to water load and whatnot. There I've are. not tried it myself. But and you can water load and whatnot, but it still has to not like it's at least a step in the right direction. And maybe maybe one maybe one system isn't the perfect system. Maybe it is. I don't know. But it's like if it's not the perfect system, it's at least a step in the right direction where other people could say, okay, well, let's look at what they're doing and maybe let's try to do something similar, improve upon it or whatever, and that be you know at least uh, an example of something that goes in the right direction. Why do you think other organizations are shy away from this type of thing? I just think that it's part of the culture, man. It's, you know, going back to the philosophy of a fighter, even myself, the whole time that I was fighting, when, when, if I could weigh in and I could, I would typically weigh in at 85 and then come back and be fighting somewhere right under 205. And in my mind, if I was weighing like 204 and my opponent weighed 201, I was like, gosh, I got an advantage here. Like that was my mindset. I never thought that way in the gym on a Tuesday night, but, but you can't, you can't, it's like nearly impossible to get that out of a fighter's head. Like they just think that way. And so it's just part of the culture. It's been that way since I won't say since day one, but you know, I can't remember when weight cutting started happening in boxing or whatever, but it's just, it's been that way for so long that the thought of challenging the system is kind of, uh, and the weigh-ins themselves become their own little spectacle. I mean, yep. to, to this day, I think it's crazy that 10,000 people would show up to an arena to watch me strip down to my underwear and step on a scale. 
like think about I don't it. know. I, I don't know. I'm gonna do this. I you, step on the scale. I do this. You and Josh. Like, a lot of people are gonna. Hey, they're gonna go listen, there to watch you guys you, do this stuff. I, I can understand Josh. <laughs> I can understand why people would show up to watch Josh strip down in his underwear. <laughs> but, like even me, I started wearing like I started wearing superhero underwear and everything else just to make it a bit more interesting. You know. <laughs> I'm baffled by it. I mean, I, I, I look you, at it as it, it's part of the like you said, it's part of the culture. But you got people have to remember that. This culture, a lot of it is a lot of the people that are in Granite is wrestlers, and this is what we've done since we were kids. I mean, I came up wrestling, wrestled when I was three, yeah. started cutting weight when I was probably close to about twelve, you know. And it just it you've you develop a system. And DC and I used to talk about it a lot. I felt like I wasn't ready to fight until I made my weight. It was a mental switch yeah. of I did everything mm-hmm. I was supposed to do. I'm ready to fight. When. When I moved up to 205, for example, and I fought Forrest, um, I, I was in that camp. I think the heaviest I got was like 212, 213. And I got sick uh, two weeks before the, the fight because I was actually helping this, this, this lady got stuck in the snow. And I was crawling under her car and dragging her out of the snow. <laughs> it's like, like I think back and I'm like, how stupid. But anyway, I ended up getting sick and I lost a little bit of weight. And I think like I showed up fight week like around 208 or 209, like under 210. And I cut weight for that fight, <laughs> cut weight for that fight and basically walked into the walked into the ring at like 207, 208. Like Forrest walked in at like 240, yeah. Yeah. And I'm not joking when I say this. I remember when we squared off at the weigh-ins. Like you literally, this you must put in a significant amount of spine, like fluid, back in your spine. Because when we squared off in the octagon, I looked up at him and I was like, "Lord of yeah. mercy, you just grew three inches since yesterday." <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not kidding. And so, you know that that was difficult for me because I had given up, you know, basically thirty pounds of weight in that match. And so that is obviously an advantage to to one athlete, but. That just that whole idea of of I need to make weight and me fighting at two hundred five. That wasn't the only fight that I took back at either a catch weight of ninety five or two hundred five. But when I was making weight at either of those weights, I was like, ah, I don't, I don't, I, I don't feel like I'm doing anything. This this fight camp, like I need to be, I need to be doing something. You know, the, I'm gonna switch directions a little bit, but more back to one is you guys have implemented. Oh, you guys shit. have imp- oh. We've- <laughs> Down goes Franklin. Down, Down goes oh, no, Franklin. Never, never, never. No, he's back. He's back. He's back up. He's back not up. Only, he didn't take the Not only game. you guys brought in the Muay Thai with the MMA gloves and the boxing with special rules with the MMA gloves, but you've also brought in the grappling portion of it. And I really love it because I'm good friends with Ty and Cade, fantastic grapplers, young. I feel like they're they're the next step of the evolution of grappling. Um, But can you talk to me about the rules about this? Because... I feel like you. This has a tendency to end up looking like some of the old school jujitsu matches where they just lay on each other and the ADCC rules. Sometimes they favor, you know, like nothing really goes on for a certain minute or whatever it is. These type of issues, I've noticed with Ty and Kate, they don't they don't train they don't grapple that way they don't train that way, and the grappling has been so fantastic. Except for when they when uh, I think it was Ty, they uh, Kate against De, uh, Deritter. We had yeah Ritter, we had Ritter. that problem with yeah yeah we, how how do we how do we stop we, from that we, happening John and I John and I were talking about it. yeah I you know I think I think my guess is probably that there's going to be an evolution in the rule set at some point in time much like what we were just talking about in the early 2000s and John talking to Randy about how the rules are changing all the time like I think that they'll have to go back into the rule set and find ways of making this 
so that it push continues pushing the action. Obviously, this we're trying to bring grappling to the mainstream mainstream mm-hmm. audience, and so you know the idea of catches and only earning catches and not points on different positions uh, was the idea of of trying to push the action for for finishes. So that is the intent of the rule set. That's why we eliminated the the the, the butt drop and the butt scoot unless you're actually engaging offensively so that we didn't get into these, you know, matches where people were just scooting around, like really trying to eliminate the dead spaces. John and I were talking about it, uh, at the top of the show before we came on about, you know, implementing like a yellow card system for stalling purposes and things like that. Because as, as he saw it, like the Ritter, for example, was fighting very defensively on his feet, not really doing much offensively for the takedown, which forced a lot of the action in ties, uh, court and Ty was pressing the action as best he could, but really just yeah. couldn't get a takedown until towards the end of the match was able to almost like sacrifice himself into a bad position that, um, that, that could have been of costing yeah. him in the match. But I mean, you know, these guys, it's like they want to put on a good show before they, they're going to put it all out there, both yeah. him and Cade. So, you know, I, I think there'll be some iterations of the rule set as, as we move on, but that's, you know, that's a Matt Could thing. we potentially see some sort of like a combat jujitsu where you'll see some strikes now involve open hand evolution that way? Or is it going to be strictly just kept to being a jujitsu uh, base? I, I mean, when we talk about potential, I guess really anything is possible. But uh, and, and by me saying this, I'm in no way, shape or form speaking on knowledge yeah, that yeah. I have inside yeah. the company. But I, I mean, I could see my guess is that I could see some potential combat jujitsu matches. Um, I don't know if the entire BJJ, uh, like the grappling matches, the submission grappling matches that we have would move that direction because we really are trying to appeal to yeah. that grappling world. And I don't think that that has the same appeal to them, but I mean, who knows? So I don't see the whole thing going that direction, but I, I could, I could see some specialty matches here and there. Mikey, for example, Mikey's talked about doing uh, MMA before. He's yeah, you taught. see Ty and Kid. Yeah, you see Ty and Kid training. They're they're actually right. training it uh, quite frequently. Yeah. Like they were at Ruka for a while, training it there, and then uh, you know I see them yeah, train on their but, own. But I think, I, I mean, for sure, Ty and Kid would be open yeah. to a combat grappling match. But I think even Mikey would be, for example. So it, yeah, I mean, it is possible. It would. I wouldn't be shocked. I would be like, what? All right, on November third here in the states, November fourth in, in Thailand, you have. One championship with a big-time uh, Muay Thai match. Jonathan mm. Haggerty against Fabricio Andrade. Is that one it? That is for Muay Thai, right? It is. It's uh, okay. No, this one's ki- uh, kickboxing. Kickboxing, okay. This, one, this one's kickboxing. So Haggerty is uh, it's the Bantamweight title for them. Um, and then it's Fabricio Bantamweight Andrade, or Featherweight? Bantam. Okay. Fabricio is our, Fabricio's our Bantamweight MMA champ. He, he uh, had beaten John Lineker. I don't know um, if you guys had seen that mm-hmm. match. Yes, I did. Great match. But Fabricio's his background actually is in Muay Thai prior to uh, competing in MMA. So this is really going to be an interesting matchup because we've got two very high-level strikers here. One of the things that when we talk about all these different things, you do have this match, and that's going to be with the four-ounce gloves, right? No, this one will be the big gloves. Oh, this was a bit. See, kick, I, I never yeah. know the difference. I don't know what kickbo- it kickbo- is. Kickboxing, yeah, I know. So kickboxing is the big gloves. Kickboxing is big uh, gloves. Muay Thai is four ounce. Yes, correct. Okay, at least I know now. 
Which is, and, which is, is interesting to me because I'll tell you what, man, I, just a side note on, on guys, just so you know, my phone is down to 10%. Okay. Like this video is really draining it. Okay. And so I probably have about, I'm guessing maybe okay. seven or eight minutes left Let's go. before this thing dies. Okay. So yeah, it's interesting with, with these two, these two fighters because both Haggerty and Adraj, they, they have backgrounds in Muay Thai. And one, one of the tools that Haggerty is most known for is his elbows. I mean, he throws this like, chopping like yeah, front, straight down the pipe him, yeah right and, and 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 he closes the distance with this thing like it's a jab so you know i mean that's not his only tool but uh, like when i first heard this matchup i was like oh and then i was like oh it's kickboxing and then i'm like oh well this actually poses a different kind of problem and puzzle for both of these guys because you know the way that haggerty works like his kicks into his game and everything is this is going to be a, a fun one to watch so and i'll tell you man fabricio right now like his confidence is unshaken and and he's tough, man. He put on a great show against uh, um, uh, Lineker, and and you know, and he, I mean, he took some heavy yeah. shots from yeah, Lineker. But he picked and, him apart. And, and yeah, but I mean, you're talking. This is hands of stone, yeah. four yeah. ounce gloves. Yeah, yeah. And if hands of stone couldn't put yeah. you down, how is Haggerty with with some pillows yeah. on his hand? That's what I call him when you fight MMA. Yeah. With some pillows on his hand, going to be able yeah. to put him drive down. So it's. This is going to be, to me, this is going to be a fun one to watch. I think it's What's your take on the yeah. Tyrulo Tolo and Magomed Abu Kadarov? Uh, Abu Kadarov. Uh, you know, so I've, I've watched Magomedov grapple. Obviously, I've seen yeah. Thai grapple, you know, so very familiar with his style. Uh, they're both very aggressive stylistically. They're, they're kind of similar. So I think that this is going to be a match where they, they really engage. I don't think there's going to be much of a feeling out process. I don't think we're going to have problems with the, the Rainier de Ritter, Ty Rotolo, hand fighting, defensive stuff. Yeah. I think that this one's going to get into the mix of it really quickly. Um, my gut right away is that, like, I know that uh, Magomedov has a background in Sambo, but he's also an ADCC European champ. He's a very so good this wrestler. Is, yeah. So, but yeah. this isn't the typical. But, but the problem is, man, is like, you can be a great wrestler, but you put a guy like Ty on the ground, he's automatically looking for darses and buggy mm -hmm. chokes from the bottom. Like, just because you could put someone on their back and now you're not scoring points for it. In, in, uh, one championships rule set, you, you got to be able to put them there and then you got to be able to pass guard or, or land in the superior position. And that's just not easy to do without leaving something hanging that he's going to grab hold of. So, um, it's, you know, it's, it's a trick, tricky game. Obviously. Got it. Got it. I mean, all right. We're going to, we're going to end this thing as quick as we can since your phone is going to go away. Is there anything that you want to bring up about one championship that's coming up that people need to be aware of? Uh, you know, I would just say like this, this card, I'll say this about this card. There's some other really good fights on this card. Like I'm, I'm looking forward to the Sinsima Clin me matchup, the rematch against with him and Leon Nolan. And, um, and then, uh, I'm actually excited to see Kanji Wong back on the card again. He had great knockout against, uh, Amir Ali Akbari. And, and I think that he's going to be a fun one to watch. He's a guy that's definitely underrated. Uh, in the, in that weight class. And then obviously, you know, we got Supergirl back on the card, but I, the, the one I'm really excited about on this one, and it's the opener is the Jeremy Miata Lita Adewong match because Lito came from the one warrior series. And he was one of my, like, he was one of the guys that I picked to be like, I, I really saw him going places. And this is a rematch between these two guys. Uh, Lito stepped back. I think it was the second round in their last match. He stepped back and I think his, his ACL actually tore, he tore his ACL. Um, and it was just a good match between the two of them. So, I mean, this is going to be a good opener for this one in MMA as well. So uh, it's really put together a really, really good card for this November 4th show. There's 
little little part of me that's happy that I don't have to get 33 hours on a plane <laughs> on the other side planet. But there's that that other part of me that's that's sad that I'm not going to be calling some of these matches. All right, well then, hey, well you got to tell everyone how to watch it, what time to watch it here in the states, and tell them when's the next time that Raw Tang is fighting. He is absolutely a blast to watch. Uh, when I don't, I, you know, hold on, I'll look to see when the next time Raw Tang is, is okay. fighting. But um, no, this this match is uh, this is um, November third, Prime Video in the uh, in the North okay. America, so states in Canada, and uh, it goes live at seven thirty okay. p.m. But it's in Colorado, correct? Yep. No, 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 no. no. no this, one, this one, this one is Thailand. this one broadcasts okay, from, from Bangkok. Bangkok. Okay. Have you not so been this listening? One, <laughs> you were bouncing around so much, I couldn't keep up. <laughs> <laughs> must be it. That must be it. No, we'll be we'll be back we'll be back in the states uh, okay, next year. Okay, perfect, perfect. Sounds good. Hey, Rich, just want to tell you, hey, you have been an incredible ambassador for the sport. Thank you so much for everything you've done. I am so proud of your success with One FC. Continue on, my man, and thank you for coming on the Wing In Podcast. Well, let me just say this: I was supposed to be in transit tonight on some travel. I pushed that travel back, John, just so I could be on this nice. show, and is truly. Um, a pleasure and an honor to be on here with two guys that I've personally worked with in my past in different capacities, but two definite gentlemen of the sport. Thanks Always, for having me. Always, man. Appreciate Always it. hit us up Love anytime. Love having you, brother. Thank you. Well, I want to tell Rich, thank you very much for your time, sir. I am proud of what you've done and continue to fight the good fight for one championship. It's a great organization, and we love the fights that are coming out of there. Josh? You guys kind of look the same. Right <laughs> yeah. Shit, he's a good-looking dude, man. I, I got to start, start taking care of my body a little bit better, though, like him. This guy's fucking yeah. still ripped. This guy was doing oh, dude, shit. Always been. We were at the Gold's Gym in the Manila when I was working for them. He was doing shit on the bars, and I'm like, what in the... And this was the time when muscle-ups were kind of first coming around. Everyone was talking about doing yeah. muscle-ups on the bars. Yeah. And he, and he, was, he was the guy that he, he, was, he was so adamant about being able to do one. And he, I saw him, you know, the, the three times we were at the gym for that trip. He was in there. He's like, he could only get like one and a half or like a half of one. And then it went to one. And it was, he was, but he was working at it. He was, I, I got, I wanted to ask him about it there in the interview. I never did. But, and we've also had some, uh, some fun out on the town and a couple little things that we've, uh, worked through together. So what happened in Beijing, I mister? You. Can't tell. I got to laugh. What do you, what do you mean, kid? It dude, not tell my, me. It's not my space to tell you. But <laughs> like Rich said, I had his back. That's all that mattered. <laughs> so we had a good time. It was a good time. And uh, yeah, it's been, man, I've traveled all around with that guy. We were in Beijing. We were in, um, where else? Are we? we were Beijing, Singapore, um, uh, Manila. Where else did we go? I think Kuala Lumpur. We were in Kuala Lumpur too. One of the, I think we were somewhere. I, I, there was another spot. I was in Singapore with him twice though. Great time, man. I had a great time with him. Good, good stuff. Uh, let's pull up some of this stuff. This DC conversation. Yep. DC uh, on, on Islam. You want me to read it to you there, Dave? Oh, oh, uh, yeah, I okay. can I can send it over. Sorry, okay. I didn't have that sent over. It says, DC says, there's work to be done for Islam Makachev to be considered the greatest fighter of all time. But what can't be denied is that he is now the number one pound-for-pound pound fighter in the world. And why? Because of, his per because of the person that he just beat in the fashion in which he beat him. It's unreal. John, what's your take on that? I hate the pound for pound. <laughs> I can't stand it. Yeah, it's just a, let, let's be honest. I'll get. I would. I would give it to him as far as he's been active, he's been fighting, and uh, he's absolutely one of the best fighters in the world. But how do you not say that John Jones, yeah. who is 
undefeated as in all championship <laughs> fights, you know, and just won the heavyweight check. How do you say that he's not? You know, how do you say that DJ still fighting over at one? How do you say that he's not the pound for pound? A guy at 125 pounds, <clears throat> yeah, he's been beat, but he got beat by bigger people and stuff. It's like, how do you say that Volkanovski is still not? And it's just impossible to say. Yeah. Uh, I would agree. Too many what ifs. Look, look. Everyone knows. Obviously, I'm a homer for my boy Islam and uh, great performance. It's. I've said this a couple times. Like, I can't. I can't take something away from somebody when they haven't lost anything. I can't take away the pound for pound from John Jones when he hasn't lost. No, and it's impossible. And um, I, I have made the argument several times that. He beat Shogun kind of on the way out. Shogun was kind of on the way out. He's beat some guys that were legends. I'm not knocking their careers, obviously. I'm not. But okay. he's beat them kind of on the on the later end of their career. That, not always. That, that doesn't make him not the best. That's the thing. It doesn't still doesn't make him not the best. Now, he's also had some issues, you know, with the USADA stuff. That's still... Like, I, I, I even... I sent him a message on Instagram one time because he was talking about how AKA fighters hate him. I was like, no, John, we don't hate you. We just hate the fact that you wasted your God-given talent and cheated. That's why. When you really, in reality, he never needed to. He's he's gifted. The guy's gifted. Yeah. He's blessed, whether it's, you know, athletically or just in mind mentality, whatever it is. He's mentality got, he's got the full package. Yeah. I'm not going to take anything away from my boy Islam, though. He deserves to be at number two. I would pitch an argument for him to be number one. But I can't do that right now because... John hasn't lost anything. I mean, going up to going up to heavyweight, taking all those years, taking those years off, going up to heavyweight and having a dominant performance over someone who just fought for the title. And I don't think he's not going to have, I think he's going to have another dominant performance uh, with Stipe. I think it might be a little bit tougher of a fight, but I think at the age of which Stipe is, John and the way that he is able to use his mind and his athleticism to his advantage and his skill level and all these things, his fight IQ, I should just wrap it up in that. He's another level. He's another level yep. right now. And now, if they would have fought, I don't know, five years ago, the five years may have, may have been a different, maybe story. Been a different story. Exactly. Yeah. But I can't. I, I can't take one spot away. And no matter how much he's my boy, but it's I look at and he's he's the clear cut number two. There's no doubt about it. Yep. You know, I'll give him to uh, nothing but love for him. Um, what else did I send you? I sent you over something. All right, else. What, do you want the John's one, the tennis yeah, one? Yeah, you gotta one? love that one. No, no, no. I, right. I, I want, I want the Bud Light one. Oh my god, <laughs> Bud Light one. I want the Bud Light one. Oh, jeez, Josh is Bud going Light. rogue. Josh is going rogue. I'm not going rogue. I'm just making you do your job. <laughs> you, are you going to drink Bud Light? No, I'm not. Josh and Bud Light. This has nothing to do with Bud Light. This, this, I, I wanted to bring some. I wanted to bring something, maybe different in the way that John thinks and maybe Dave thinks. UFC and Bud Light announced record-breaking sponsorship deal. I feel we are very aligned when it comes to our core values. Who said that? I would imagine it's probably the Bud Light. <laughs> uh, who did say that? I don't know. Uh, here, the guy here. The report also indicates what you did between UFC and Bud Light. Uh, Bud Light. Let's see. Oh, no, it's Dana White. Uh, well, good for him. Um. John, I look at it, I look at this. I look I look at it this way. I don't I I, look at, I don't I, I think Modelo's gone. <laughs> I don't like 
I don't like this cancer bullshit, this cancer culture bullshit. It's fucking ridiculous. Now, look, if you don't okay. like something, don't buy it, don't drink it, don't eat it, whatever it is. I, I'm, I'm get that. Um, but the way that it is being pushed on everybody, not to like it. No, you're not cool. They, that's, I, they, I feel like that's just bullshit. Like these companies are gonna make their decisions. They fucked up. They know they fucked up. They took a huge, huge loss. And 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 the the American people or the consumer made them pay for it. They have decided to come out now and just jump on what sport would bring them the most notoriety uh, to get them back aligned with um uh, whatever their what their with who their their consumer is and their consumer is their people that consumer? yeah their core consumer is people that sit around and watch UFC. 19 to 35, 38, 39, people that actually work for a living. And they, I think somewhere along the line, they lost that. I'm not ready to write them up. I don't drink Bud Light. I just, I never have. No, I never have actually made, never I, have even either. before this whole thing happened, I made fun of my cousin who that's all he does drink. But, um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but I, I just, I'm not in support of any of this cancel culture bullshit. I don't care what it is at all. It's a very, um, it's a slippery slope. It's disgusting to think like you could put people, their careers could be ruined. Their lives could be ruined. We have seen the negative effects the on children. John, we had this conversation about children, yeah. the negative effects yeah. on children because their parents' lives have been ruined because of things like this. I'm not Boom, okay with that's that. The, this is the biggest problem I have. I had friends who work for distributing companies and they distributed Bud Light. They, they had nothing to do with what Bud Light decided to do with, you know, a, a certain you know influencer or anything like that. And but it affected affected them greatly. It affected their livelihood. It affected their families. Mm-hmm. And it's because, as you say, I, I don't I don't buy into cancel culture for anything. Mm-hmm. Look, if you're gonna have a different viewpoint than me, that's fine. I can talk to you about it. Mm-hmm. It's when you can't talk to me about your side. Yeah. That that's when you're starting to lose perspective in what you're doing because you should always be able to have a conversation. There's always that you may not in the end agree with each other, and that's okay. But if I look at it this way, if the UFC, you know, has Bud Light as one of their sponsorship deals and it's the biggest one they've ever had, congratulations yep. to the UFC. Congratulations to Bud Light. And I say, bring Brock Lesnar back because he'll drink a Coors Light. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> Remember that? Yes, I do. Oh, yeah, that was they great. Win, I'm going to have a Coors Light and jump on shit. my mama, right? That's so great. That was great. That was awesome. Yeah. He did have a Bud Light at the press con- at the at the media conference. So, yeah. uh, I just wanted to touch on that. I, I would like to, for if we could maybe start just considering like looking well, past. I, the, the part that cracks yeah. me up is we feel like we're very aligned when it comes to our core values. When has Dana been aligning core values with anybody? Come on. Uh, all right, well, hey, I love it. That's gonna that's gonna wrap up that Bud Light conversation. We're not gonna get too much into it, but like I said, I just wanted to bring that a little bit of a mention to it. That is, I'm happy for them. They got a good deal. Hopefully, some of that will oh, trickle down to the fighters. Phenomenal deal. Hopefully, some of that will trickle down to some of the fighters. Okay, now you just I lost you. Um, we've got <laughs> we've got two videos that I wanted to show you guys. John sent one over, and I sent one over. Uh, start with the baseball one. All right, so I'll uh, let me just get audio here for you guys. What have you been doing the whole time we've been talking? How is this not well, lined up yet? <laughs> <laughs> this 
announcing the last at-bat of their father, and he cranks one out of the park. He is retiring. You got to talk about a feel-good moment. Look at the elation on that man as his kids announced his name over the PA system. His last at-bat as a professional athlete for the Oakland A's. That's awesome. That's fantastic, man. And look, and look at his teammates. That's fantastic. Look at, look at how his teammates know, you know what that feels like for him and how happy they are for him. That's This is sport. And this is what people that have never, ever been part of this are missing. Yeah. Because anybody that's been part of athletics knows how you care so much for someone on your team. That was awesome. That was, that was awesome. Almost brought me to tears. Got some dust in my eye. It's a bug flu. Yeah, I mean, it's good stuff. I mean, yeah. especially his kids. His, his kids being able to announce his last at bat. That's pretty damn awesome. Um, I sent the video over to Dave and you ready for it? Yeah, yeah, I'm ready for it. I want, I want it to all make sense. Here we are in Dagestan and here are kids wrestling, but I want you guys to take a look. There's the wrestling mat and there's the wedding. There's the wedding. That's awesome. <laughs> there, this, I don't, I can't, I don't know if this is a wedding or not. It seems like it just a, like a very big family dinner. In this big family dinner in this hall, they have a wrestling mat set up on the outside, and there's is all kids. And I actually sent this over to Habib, and I sent it over to Umar, and I said, "Just Dagestan." And I said, "It all makes sense." And they both sent me back, "This is Dagestan, brother." <laughs> of course. <laughs> so I just, like I said, this is, this is the level of commitment that you see from. Other countries, whether it's Georgia, whether it's Dagestan, to the to their kids being physically active, to being out there, whether it's playing with each other. And I don't see kids on iPads in this situation. I don't, maybe they are in there. Maybe they are. Maybe I'm missing them, but I don't see them. I don't see them at the tables. I see them on the mat. And I'm not saying every kid needs to be a wrestler, but I mean, having your kids physically active uh, with amongst other kids, absolutely amazing. I can see, I can see this. I can see why, why they are the way they are. So good stuff. I That's thought it was awesome. a fun. I thought it was a fun little video to show because it, it made me it made one. me laugh. Dave, what you got? You had something to say? I was going to say we do it without the mats over here. You do it without the mats? <laughs> yeah, we just did this without the mats. Yeah. See, they're trying to protect their. We kids just more. did the same thing without the mats. Who's we? So yeah. our kids, so our kids can really like you know get get rough and oh, uh, and get tough. Uh, you know, it's funny because. You say that. What, but the thing with mats, though, is you can actually take more damage and still keep going. It's no different than like there's the the e-bikes. People ride electric bikes, right? And I was like, man, you guys are a bunch of sissies riding these e-bikes no, no, up no, the no. hill. Smart. You go farther. It's because you can ride for three quarters of the day versus, you know, if I ride without without an e-bike, I don't have an three e-bike. Three quarters of the day? Three quarters of the day, buddy. You can ride for like eight, nine you hours did? easily. Yeah. Easily. Yeah. You can That's ride. That's not three quarters of the day. Well, I mean, like if you're, if the sun goes down, by the way. Do you know that? <laughs> so you um you don't want to get lost up there as the sun starts to go what? down but you question why are you arguing i with don't him? know this guy's never done anything physically <laughs> this guy has no idea of combat sports and i can't believe it john you're right you know what john take us away man just fucking dave piss me off i'm done with you <laughs> <laughs> for everyone out there that's on an electric bike i want you to run over podcast dave for me Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed Rich Franklin, and we will see you.